Greetings to all y'all. This is the program that covers the Southeast. I'm John Rawl. Good to have you here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Oh, we've got a good show lined up. We've got a very busy Y'all show lined up here on the program today. And if you want to get involved, we welcome your input, your feedback. 803-816-1170 is the way to get involved with y'all. Looking forward so much to having you part of our program. Okay, what do we have in store? We've got headlines from across Dixie that we'll get to in just a second. Also, we've got a look at the Southern Sports Update. A Michigan Wolverine is headed to Rocky Top. We'll tell you who that is in our sports spotlight coming up in just a few minutes. Also, in this first hour of today's Y'all Show, we're going to have the barbecue barrister back on here, Matt Hermans. And the subject of our conversation with the barbecue barrister today is DoorDash. Over the last year, with the coronavirus breaking out, people have gone to places like DoorDash to have deliveries of food made. And Matt Hermans is going to be on to talk about what in the South are the top deliveries for DoorDash. So do you have a guess of what exactly that might be? Matt Hermans will talk about it. That is coming up on today's Y'all Show in just a few minutes. So stick by for the Barrister of Bodacious Barbecue. And before this first hour wraps, we're going to have our Southern Political Report. And we actually have audio from the 45th President of the United States. That's right. Donald J. Trump was on Fox News. Sean Hannity interviewed him on Monday evening. And we've got a clip of that interview that you're going to want to hear. Also, there's going to be a Republican contender, at least one we know of, to Brian Kemp of Georgia as he runs for re-election. Vernon Jones, speaking of President Trump, a guy that President Trump has had speak on his behalf and more, former Democrat turned Republican in Georgia. He announced the other day that he's going to be running. We've got a little bit of information on that. Plus, Jim Clyburn is a longtime congressman from South Carolina, and I think he is the House Democratic whip right now. He's also been the chairman of the Black Caucus and he was recently on MSNBC Reports, and we've got some audio from that of him talking about the court-packing scenario. Jim Clyburn will be on in our Southern Political Report later this hour. We get to number two hour today, more headlines from across the southeast, and then we're going to have our first hashtag hullabaloo of 2021. And it, well, what in the world is hashtag hullabaloo? Well, that is where we go on social media and you just wouldn't believe the darnest things that pop up on there. And so we're going to let you know about some stuff in the South, like some music and some food and, and oh, so much more. It's it's just a a panoply of wonderful Southern stuff and hashtag hullabaloo. That's coming up hour two. Plus, we're also going to be visiting with Kobe Bennett of y'all.com. We're going to check in via telephone with Kobe, and he's going to let us know what's up at the homepage of the South y'all.com which helps present the y'all show each and every day so hang on for kobe in hour two and then we've got art cruz joining us again hour three today going to be fun catching up with him getting his take on all the news across sports including a big night for seth curry of the nba's golden state warriors oh man that is one talented nba superstar and he's doing something right now that is just uh, amazing we'll talk about that plus there's not going to be any Major League Baseball today, a weird calendar choice here with no game. So we'll talk about NBA and the lineup for the association going on this evening. And then we're going to have a Southern accent on arts as well. And our third, not only is Art Cruz going to be here, we're going to have a Southern accent on the arts in our third hour. 
and more hashtag hullabaloo. So, boy, 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 just a busy show, as I promised you here on today's Y'all Show. We're just glad to be here and just going to have some fun. So let's dive into what is going on across the nation, across the Southeast in particular. And, of course, we were saddened to know that he died at the age of 93 on Monday. Former Vice President Walter Mondale, of course, serving with Jimmy Carter as the vice president there in the late 1970s up into the 1980, 81, technically, is when he left office. He was the 42nd vice president of the United States, dying at the age of 93. He was born in Minnesota, died in Minneapolis on Monday, and served in the Army during the Korean War era, and then entered politics and more. And just a a, a classy guy from all accounts. Walter Mondale, of course, ran for president in the early 1980s. Jimmy Carter, who I think in his late 90s is still going, put out a statement saying, today I mourn the passing of my dear friend Walter Mondale, who I consider the best vice president in our country's history. During our administration, Fritz used his political skill and personal integrity to transform the vice presidency into a dynamic policy driving force that had never been seen before and still exists today. And called Walter Mondale, Jimmy Carter called him an invaluable partner. Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden called Mondale one of our nation's most dedicated patriots who, as a senator, was instrumental in passing landmark legislation like the Fair Housing Act and Title IX as well. Former Vice President Walter Mondale, serving from 1977 until 1981, he also was, of course, a longtime senator from the state of Minnesota, dying at the age of 93 on Monday. More news across the nation, across the southeast. The search has now ended for survivors of the capsized lift boat off the coast of Louisiana. From Cutoff, Louisiana, we go. And yes, sadly, it looks like there's going to be a lot of deaths here. 19 people were on board the vessel when it sank last week. Six ended up being rescued on the first day. Five bodies have been pulled from the sea or from the ship by divers, and it just looks like it's going to be, what, uh, 19 minus 6, 13 deaths, it appears, from the loss after Seacorp Power capsized in rough waters on April 12th. That's about eight miles off the Louisiana coast, and now the Coast Guard has suspended its search and rescue operation for the eight people that were still missing from the vehicle. And they had searched about 9,000 square miles off of Louisiana's Gulf Coast waters. But an unfortunate thing, again, the search called off for the capsized lift boat that was involved in the petroleum industry there of Louisiana. Our, our, certainly our thoughts and prayers for the, the families of the victims and those who perished in this very, very unfortunate Y'all show. Let's talk about another story coming out of the state of Louisiana. Three people, including a child, are now dead following what Louisiana state troopers say was a road rage accident near Avondale. Troopers called to the crash on Saturday. It happened near Louisiana 18 and Louisiana 541 in Jefferson Parish as a crash claimed the life of a 49-year-old man from New Orleans as well as two Tennesseans, 31-year-old Raishnia Wright and 11-year-old Dezera Wright as investigations by troopers revealed a Ford F-150 pickup traveling eastbound on Louisiana 18 near Louisiana 541. Uh, it got involved with a 2002 Dodge Durango driven by Ferreira, 
following closely at a high rate of speed. And as the two lane became four lanes, the Durango continued eastbound in the left lane, then next to the F-150. And for some reason, the Durango struck the left side of the F-150 pickup, causing the Durango to rotate into the west. Uh, Durango rotated into the westbound lanes of travel, and a road rage incident now leaves three people dead, two from Tennessee, one from Louisiana, over the weekend. North Carolina, and there there are they've been having demonstrations in North Carolina, as we've seen pop up across the country, people demonstrating the Dante Wright death from Minnesota. You've got the George Floyd jury right now deliberating. But North Carolina police have arrested at least 12 after an American flag was burned and stores were vandalized, vandalized there after protests over the death of Dante Wright. In Raleigh on Sunday, a large crowd of protesters began marching throughout the downtown streets of Raleigh, North Carolina, and there there ended up being small fires set. Items were thrown, property damage, and Raleigh police declared the assembly unlawful Sunday evening before ordering the crowd to disperse, and at least one person charged with a failure to disperse and simple assault, Jonathan Spencer Copes, others also under the watchful eye of law enforcement there. But in North Carolina, we've already seen a lot of arrests, 12 people Sunday arrested after demonstrations continued for a third night in the state capital of North Carolina. And police aren't going to be putting up uh, with any of this nonsense, it appears, But get ready, no matter what the decision out of Minnesota, I think we're going to see a lot of angry people one way or the other and something to certainly keep our eyes out and law enforcement to be prepared for. Now, a similar story in terms of law enforcement and the death of a black person. This comes to us from North Charleston, South Carolina, where truly, in my opinion, this is the one case where a a white police officer really lost his... uh, professionalism and lost his mind, frankly, when he gunned down Walter Scott. And this happened several years ago. And Michael Slager was the North Charleston, South Carolina police officer that was charged with killing Walter Scott as Scott ran away from him. They had gotten into a laser, uh, rather a a taser uh, scuffle on the ground. And as Scott ran away, you probably have seen the video, Slager shot him in the back and killed him. And that was truly one case that, out of all these cases, was pretty pretty hard for the law enforcement person to come up with a a viable defense. In fact, he was sentenced. He was sentenced and had a twenty year prison sentence. Well, this week on Monday, a judge in South Carolina upheld a twenty year prison sentence for the former police officer in the killing of Scott, and rejected Slager's claims that his lawyer that he had back when he was sentenced had done a poor job after he appealed a sentence saying his lawyer never told him about a plea officer from prosecutors that could have cut years off his eventual prison term for shooting Walter Scott five times in the back. So this is a case for whatever reason, you just haven't heard a lot about over the last few years, the killing of Walter Scott by a police officer in South Carolina. But this one, I know it's pretty hard to look at the evidence and not see that the the officer really, really screwed up as opposed to some of these other ones where you just have to think the law enforcement really was in a bad position. For example, there in uh, north of Minneapolis with the lady 
I think she really thought she had a taser when she ended up sadly killing the the, uh, young person just the other day. Now to Alabama, and speaking of police-involved shootings, a police officer shot during a routine traffic stop there. The suspect has been killed as a Dothan police officer pulled over a car and ended up being shot Monday for pulling over a car for not displaying a license tag properly. The officer stopped the car, had a brief conversation with the driver, and the officer noticed that there was a gun inside. The driver then fled the scene in the car before being released by the officer. And at some point, there was a officer used a taser on the suspect who opened fire and struck the officer on his left leg. And then the injured officer and another officer returned fire. The suspect, who has not yet been identified, was hit and later died at a hospital. All this in the wiregrass of Alabama there, a officer-involved shooting and the death of a person there in the state of Alabama. And Walgreens, how about this? Talk about a screw-up. Walgreens Pharmacy, North Carolina, distributed saline and not a vaccine to 22 people. As uh, people there in uh, the Monroe, North Carolina area, got saline injected to them in a mix-up there that where they were supposed to get their second shot of the vaccine. I don't know which one it was, which type of vaccine, but yeah, they put saline in there instead. That's not a not a smart thing there by Walgreens. Walgreens, yes, isn't that a little confusing? You got Walgreens all over the place, and then Walmart, too. All of those places uh, just loaded up with people coming in for vaccine shots and more. That's a quick look at some of the headlines that are taking place across the nation and across the southeast right now. We've got more headlines coming your way in our number two. Hang on when the Y'all Show comes right back after this. We've got a quick look at some southern sports updates from across the southeast. And don't forget, our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans is going to be joining us in just a little bit as well as the show that's all about the South continues right after this. And we're going to talk a little college sports here. Tennessee fans, get ready because you might just have Some much-needed relief coming to Rocky Top here in the fall as it was announced on Monday that a former Michigan Wolverine QB is southbound to Knox County. Oh, this could be great news, Tennessee fans. And who is the person you're talking about that might have played for wins coming to East Tennessee? Well, it's going to be former quarterback for Michigan Joe Milton as – he chooses, he chooses Tennessee, and he was in the college football transfer portal for a while, really since back in February. Milton was in there, and now he plans to transfer to play for the Big Orange as his transfer would make him eligible to play for Tennessee this season as Tennessee is looking for a starting QB as they transition to coach Josh Heupel's first year in his new up-tempo offense along the banks of the Tennessee. Now, Milton was a starter for Michigan in 2020, and that follows what Shea Patterson did for Michigan for a couple of years. Patterson, a former Mississippi quarterback who had transferred to Ann Arbor, and Milton came in in 2020. And, of course, Michigan did not have the greatest of years in 2020 in the coronavirus crazy season that it was. He did have five starts. Milton had five starts, passed for over 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. He had four interceptions but was replaced in Michigan's final game in the 2020 season. He's a six foot five, 243-pound quarterback, and he's going to have three years of eligibility remaining. 
and currently listed as an active student in the Tennessee Student Directory. He is on track to begin his academic studies at UT in the summer semester. Now, one of the things that's recently happened in college sports, uh, uh, you could say would never have happened if not for the coronavirus, was they have come out from Indianapolis, where the NCAA is headquartered, with a brand-new ruling that says that you can transfer one time and not have to sit out at all. And, of course, in the old days, I'm talking about uh, from from the beginning of college football until last year, if you made a decision to transfer without having a, a degree at first, if you just, let's say, went to a college for a year and didn't like it and you wanted to go somewhere else, well, you had to sit out a year. Well, that's now changed. And it looks like Tennessee is going to benefit from that rule with Joe Milton. And I do believe, and I don't know if he said this on the air on Monday. I know he said it. I just can't remember if he said it on the air or off the air. Art Cruz will be here with us in the or he has a pretty good grasp of what goes on in SEC sports. And he told me, and he may have told all of us when he was on here, that uh, he believes that Tennessee's starting quarterback for 2021 was not even on campus yet. So maybe maybe Art Cruz has that direct connection to the, the goings-on of the Tennessee football program as Joe Milton, a former Michigan quarterback, is now big orange bound, wishing him a lot of luck. Now to the NFL we go, and Alex Smith, the reigning NFL Comeback Player of the Year, he announced his retirement from football. Of course, he was a Washington Redskins quarterback, then had a big injury, had to come back as a Washington football team quarterback in 2020. A really, really feel-good story. Had a 16-year quarterbacking career in the NFL, starting out as the number one pick in the NFL draft, playing for the San Francisco 49ers. Smith's going to turn 37 in the month of May, and he announced his decision in a two-minute, 12-second video that he put on Instagram. I haven't had a chance to see that one. I don't know if it was quite as creative and as good as Drew Brees' Instagram with his kids announcing his retirement from the NFL, but he ended up being released by the football team last month. But to his credit, did get a chance to come back and play in games, and I think he may have even led them to a victory and just a, a wonderful story, Alex Smith, with all that he went through and that gruesome injury from two years ago nearly cost him his right leg as he tried to get it back up and going and suffered a compound leg fracture November of 2018. Most people thought his career was over. He had to have 17 surgeries to stem an infection in his right leg, and it almost had to be amputated, but ended up getting it fixed and, and hit the field in 2020, and just a good, good story. Washington football team owner Dan Snyder and his wife Tanya said in a joint statement that Alex Smith accomplished the greatest comeback in professional sports history and was a huge part of our team's success this past season. Of course, the football team, the WFT, the former Redskins, went to the playoffs for the first time in a long, long time in 2020. So Alex Smith, the former Utah Ute, getting a chance to enjoy retirement now with his decision to step away from the NFL and just another guy that seems like it was just yesterday he was getting that uh, first-round pick and going off and playing in the NFL, and and now he's calling it a career. But a, a, a great career for him and a really good story. In fact, I've seen more than one person either on radio or TV shows or on social media come out and say, that the NFL's official award for comeback player of the year should be renamed 
the Alex Smith comeback player of the year, and I, I'm not going to fight him on that. That's a, a great, great idea. Now to an NFL quarterback that's currently supposedly going to play, but ha, every day it looks like it's getting closer and closer that Deshaun Watson's uh, his his days of playing for the Houston Texans might be over with. His days playing as an NFL player could be over with. His attorney, Rusty Harden, filed an answer on Monday to the 22 lawsuits currently filed against the Houston Texans quarterback, saying that the quarterback, Deshaun Watson, the former Clemson and Gainesville, Georgia native, saying that he had already uncovered evidence that numerous allegations in this onslaught of cases are simply not true or accurate. It appears that Rusty Harden, Deshaun Watson's attorney, is kind of digging in the sand and saying that most, if not all, of these 22 women who are claiming that Deshaun Watson either had or are alleging inappropriate conduct or and or sexual assault, that they're lying. And one lawsuit was dropped by a plaintiff for now, according to court documents, in light of privacy and security concerns. But the the other attorney who's coming forward and kind of being the uh, the offense, if you will, in this case, is pretty, pretty confident that his the women that he represented, we're talking about attorney Tony Busby, uh, he says that Watson's only defense is to call these brave women liars. So it is an ugly situation. Frankly, as Clay Travis has pointed out on his show, the the ESPNs and the major media outlets have been very, very quiet uh, as compared to what it could be with other people out there on this case. It's an ugly case. It's a case that it's hard to hard to see that 22 women would just be lying, but hey, that's why we live in America. That's why Deshaun Watson has the opportunity to defend himself. This could go before court. It could be all settled out of court. But right now, things are not looking good, and, and it appears that Deshaun Watson's narrative is that he didn't do anything, and these women are all liars. More to come on that. How about Stephen Curry, Golden State Warriors? He has made history as he has recorded his 11th straight 30-point game. And why is that playing? I don't know. No, no, no. Okay, stop that. Uh, recording his 30th point, 30, 11th straight 30-point game and 5th straight 40-point game since the start of April. Steph Curry, yeah, is just on a roll. And the Warriors were able to get the victory on Monday, 106-97, as they defeated the Philadelphia 76ers. But 30-point games for 11 straight times, and then 40-point games for five games in a row for Stephen Curry. Is he good or what? Too bad that so many of his Golden State Warrior teammates from a few years ago have gone on to other places, and he's almost like a one-man band. For that franchise, but he's just—I uh, uh, mean, just 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 to give you an idea of what Stephen Curry, according to the official Twitter account at NBA History, with his Monday night total of forty-nine points, Curry becomes the first player in the entire league history, age thirty-three or older, with eleven straight thirty-plus point games. Kobe Bryant held the previous record, and that was 10 straight 30-plus point games. Kobe Bryant did that in December of 2012. Just a very talented NBA superstar, Steph Curry. 
Some sad news from college basketball. The brother of former NC State and national champion coach Jim Valvano, Bob Bob Valvano, has passed away. Or No, I'm sorry. He's not passed away. Let me correct myself. He says he has leukemia. Okay, my, my apologies there. As he announced on social media that he has leukemia and an aortic aneurysm and some kidney damage as well. Now, Jim Valvano, I, I was getting my head ahead of myself, of course. Jim Valvano did pass away in 1993 from a glandular cancer as he had led NC State to the 1983 NCAA championship upset of Houston there in Albuquerque. His brother, Bob, a former college coach as well, has kind of helped keep Jim Valvano's legacy going. They looked a lot alike. They sounded a lot alike. And now Bob Valvano announcing that he has leukemia. We certainly wish the best of him and Jimmy V and more. Valvano put out a statement on Twitter. His Twitter account, by the way, is at ESPNVShow, Bob Valvano there. As his statement said, leukemia, not cool, but this is. My cancer doctor, Dr. Kuda Khan, was taught by my brother Jim's cancer doctor, Dr. Joe Moore, at Duke Medical School. I know I'm in good hands. So a positive attitude there from Valvano. We wish him all the best as he goes through this cancer fight. No Major League Baseball going on today. They're all taking a break, it appears. NBA action for this April 20th. The Orlando Magic will be in the ATL to take on the Hawks, the Charlotte Hornets. Good news coming from the ball front for the franchise out of the Queen City. They're going to be at Madison Square Garden with a game against the Knicks. Brooklyn will be at the New Orleans Pelicans. The Clippers will be at Portland. And Minnesota will be taking on the Sacramento Kings. That's your NBA lineup for this Tuesday. Coming up on the Y'all Show, we're going to put our food hat on as our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans will be on in just a second to talk about the top DoorDash deliveries that are going on in the South due to the coronavirus pandemic. That ought to be a whole lot of fun, and that is coming up next on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. This is the coffee blue, I like the same brand, Michael Hatton. It's good till the last drop, just like it says on the can. I used to have a good cooking a good Michael house. She moved away. Some said Memphis and some said Lila. But I found her and I wanted to cook me some good Michael's house. I understand if I can get just a spoonful of Michael's house, you'll be much good as two or three cups of this other coffee. Oh, yeah, some of y'all need that coffee to get you going here on a Tuesday. Good to have you back on, y'all. And we like our blues music coming out of that Mississippi Delta. Oh, yeah. Well, we also like here in the southeast on the Y'all Show to visit with our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans, And he does a may. I mean, the boy does just an amazing job talking about food. And we're going to have him on also here throughout the springtime to talk a little college baseball. He is a expert on that uh, that profession the profession of college baseball and more and so he he's going to be on here i think later in the week to talk about that but right now matt hermans our barbecue barrister is going to drop by to talk about food and specifically since we've been going through this little coronavirus thing for a while now about doordash and doordash has come out with a listing of their top deliveries in the southeast 
since the pandemic began. And we're going to walk through that now with Matt Hermans. And it's going to be so much fun to kind of get his take on. I mean, that seems like something pretty crazy to have DoorDash delivered at at, at, at 8 in the morning. But evidently, a lot of people do that. Uh, is that something, sir, that, that you've done? I have not. I've never done it myself. Breakfast I've never or DoorDash? I've never thought about it either. Yeah, I've never actually thought about it either, but um, I guess they do, right? I'm sure there are people that utilize that. I mean, it makes sense to me now that I think about it to have DoorDash deliver your breakfast and a lot of other meals a day. I mean, how cool is it you don't even have to get your pajamas on uh, to, to have something delivered there at the doorstep? <laughs> you probably need to have something on or they might not deliver it. But well, if you pay for it in advance, I guess, can you not leave instructions for them to leave it like on your doorstep? Yeah, no, they can't. you're right. The, a lot of them are doing that. Uh different services like a no touch no uh no contact or whatever contactless delivery i think is the buzzword and as long as you don't have a fido running around the neighborhood you might uh, be able to have such a thing again doordash evidently delivers for breakfast here's their top delivery things uh go ahead and take a stab at like one of these let's see if you get there's four choices here uh three now that look at it closely any of the three choices you you predict for a southern breakfast? What are some of the hot items DoorDash delivers for breakfast? I think uh, I would say like a breakfast biscuits, you know, with yeah. different types of uh, meat in there, maybe sausage. You're right. In fact, we'll send you a nice, beautiful red Pelican baseball cap your way for getting this. I already have one. Gosh. <laughs> It's a sausage biscuit. That's one of the top deliveries. Oh, yeah. Hash brown burritos. I know you're a big fan of the burrito. And orange juice. Who do get, who gets orange juice delivered? Bill? Evidently, DoorDash delivers it to some folks out there. So there you have. Yeah, it. I guess if you're gonna if you're gonna get if you're gonna do the whole breakfast thing, you might as well have orange juice, right? All right. So DoorDash, according to their website, their top breakfast items they deliver in the South. This is specific to this region: sausage biscuits, then hash brown burritos, and orange juice. And our question to you, Mr. Barrister, is what would you, Matt Hermans, do to improve these things to where you're not going to be calling DoorDash, you're going to be calling uh, out to your grill in the backyard to maybe improve upon a sausage biscuit? What what could you do? How could you one-up DoorDash? Well, sausage biscuit is pretty good. I, I'm not going to uh, to deny anybody that the, the love for the sausage biscuit. I like cheese on mine, but... Uh, you know, we've talked about uh, barbecue in the past. We've talked about, I'll tell you what I would like to do, is we've also kind of covered the idea that, that, you know, you like to go to local places and, uh, and buy local meat. Uh, there's a lot of uh, different meat markets around the South, uh, people that grind their own sausage. I would like to, uh, what I'd like to do is make my own sausage biscuit if I can and uh, maybe use some fresh, freshly ground local sausage from a meat market. There's all kinds of different uh, meat markets around that have their own type of breakfast sausage so that's probably what i would do because i do love a breakfast sausage but i like to support the local folks as well and uh yeah that's probably what i would do i'd, I'd, warm, I'd cook the sausage in a cast iron skillet yeah if you don't have the luxury of having a local butcher shop with their local sausage for you to whip up on the grill or or however you do it is there anything simple we can do to improve upon what they already make is there some spices or something like that you can add Absolutely. Um, you know what? Make your if you're going to do if you're going to make your own breakfast, let's stick with sausage gravy. Very, very easy. I know people love sausage gravy across the South. All it is is basically cook sausage, leave the grease in the pan, make yourself a roux with a bit of little flour, add some pepper, and add some cream, and you've got yourself a heck of a sausage gravy. You can treat that however you want to treat it. You can brown it. 
You can leave it creamy white. You can add lots of black pepper. You can add cayenne. I've actually had Cajun white uh, pepper sausage gravy, which is basically you just add some Cajun seasoning to the white uh, pepper gravy and serve it over brisket. Uh, brisket. I've got barbecue on the brain. <laughs> Biscuits. Uh, so there's lots of different things to do. I would say tweaking and kind of making your own version of a, of a sausage gravy to go over biscuits is easy. It's delicious. It's Southern and it's kind of infinitely tweakable, if you will. Uh, so that's a great, great thing to do. All right. Moving along in our conversation of items. Again, this is again, according to DoorDash and the service they offer where they come around and deliver to you. There's similar services all over the region now where people can pull up an app and get things delivered to their home we go to lunch now a lot of you might have lunch brought into your workplace or more courtesy of places like doordash and according to this article again foods that southerners can't get enough of specifically here during the pandemic according to doordash they have three things listed two of which are foods one is a drink matt hermans want to take a stab of which of the options here, food-wise, Southerners are going crazy for during the pandemic? For lunch. For lunch. Uh, yeah, for lunch. Say, uh, you know what? I'm going to be boring. I'm going to say hamburgers. I'm going to say burger. Burger? Is yeah. that your final answer there in honor of Regis Philbin, the late, great Regis Philbin? Oh, R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with burger. That's pretty ubiquitous uh, to order. Matt Hermans, you are not correct. According to DoorDash, it's buffalo wings. Buffalo wings and nachos, along, <laughs> along with another drink choice here for lunchtime, according to their research, strawberry lemonade. I don't even know where you could get strawberry lemonade from a place. Okay, all right. Maybe That's, Sonic, uh... maybe. But buffalo wing, wings for a lunch is their is their research. And again, I just don't want to announce what DoorDash is saying. I want to announce what Matt Hermans can do to one-up DoorDash. So what can we do to have a better wing during a pandemic? Absolutely. So I will say um, I'm surprised that buffalo wings are that popular because I think what we would all agree on, that a buffalo wing, you kind of want it to be crispy. You want the skin. Now, it's going to have sauce on it. But you're going to want the skin to be kind of crispy. A lot of times they're fried, and, you know, that's what I like, put it that way. I like a crispy buffalo wing under the sauce. I like to be able to bite through the skin. I don't want kind of a, uh, you know, a soft kind of chewy, you know, um, it steams itself. Put it this way. When a buffalo wing is delivered, it steams itself in the delivery box. So little surprising to me, but, again, if you like it, you know, good for you. What I would say is what I like to do with Buffalo wings is, is, is going to shock everybody. I like to smoke them, oh. but that's not where the story ends. I like to smoke them to get a nice layer of smoke till they're pretty much all the way cooked. And then I like to fry them um, in, in a, in a canola oil or vegetable oil, peanut oil, uh, kind of like you would do fried oak or anything else that gives you the crisp on the outside of the wing, but you also get the smoke. Uh, there's a great place called Central Barbecue in Memphis that does a wonderful smoked and then fried barbecue uh, buffalo wing. Incredible. That's the way I like it. So if I'm going to one-up DoorDash, I'm going to do smoked wings, and then I'm going to fry them to crisp them, and then I'm going to toss them in the sauce uh, instead of letting them steam in a in a, uh, in a little a box on the way to the house. But, uh, yeah, that's what I would do. 
Matt, I don't mean to sound like a ignoramus here. I just want to make sure I'm right on this. Most restaurants, when they say buffalo wings, most of them mean they've been deep fried. Is that right? Nine times out of ten, yes. The okay. wing is either going to be breaded and then deep fried, like fried chicken, and then sauced, or it's going to be naked and then deep fried to get it crispy, but without the fried chicken sort of uh, breading, right? So you have breaded and fried, then you have not breaded and fried. That's that's Those are the two kinds of buffalo wings. I don't think there's any other type. I don't think anybody bakes them. I don't think anybody uh, obviously doesn't boil them. It's going to be fried one way or the other, either battered or not battered. Uh, but, yeah, definitely fried. you got to get that crisp. But you, again, for those who might be a little health conscious, that's not exactly the best thing to hear that they all come fried, where chicken normally would be a rather healthy option. But just because they end yes. up frying them, it may not be the best of options. But you're, you, well, did, you did mention another way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're right. Uh, chicken wings – Buffalo wings are, are not the healthiest option. They're dark. Uh, actually, they're technically white meat, but they are completely covered in skin, which is the best part of the wing. You want the crispy skin. It's the best part of fried chicken. So skin is not the healthy option, obviously. Then, of course, you have a sauce. It's either very sweet or very salty all over it. And then, of course, it's fried in oil. So, uh, yeah, not the most healthy option, but obviously very tasty. Uh, you can – you don't have to fry wings – uh, they're not going to be the kind of the crispy wings that you imagine when you think of biting into a buffalo wing, but you can bake them. Uh, you can only smoke them. You can do like we've talked about. You can marinate them, cook them on the smoker, cook them on the grill, and not fry them. It's going to be a different type of texture. It's going to be a different type of taste. But if you really love chicken wings and you don't want that extra oil or grease, that's an option, and they turn out different but still good. The reason restaurants don't do that option, I'm assuming that takes a lot more time. Uh, well, you can always cook them ahead of time. The reason restaurants don't do it is because people want them fried because they're better fried. Okay. They have crispy, of yeah, they, of you have the crispy skin. That's what you want. All right. See, see everything, especially here in the South comes down to what tastes good. Health be darned. Right. True. Yeah. And you can eat anything you want as long as it's not every day. That's what I've always oh, said okay. for, for a while. How about strawberry lemonade? That made the cut of one of the top DoorDash deals in the South at lunchtime. Have you had a good strawberry lemonade? Because I don't really know that I've had one. You know, um, I have. Uh, there's there's a place we've talked about before called Sonic. Uh, they do son- they do uh, strawberry limeades. Oklahoma place, popular. yeah. Yeah, those are pretty popular, strawberry limeades. I have had a strawberry lemonade. I tend to like my lemonade straight lemon, obviously. Um, lemonade. Lemon. Yeah, I don't like the extra flavors in mine, but, uh, you know, hey, to each their own. You add a little fruit. Sometimes people like cherry in there. Some people like uh, strawberry. I tend to like a good sweet tea myself if I'm going to drink something that has sugar in it. But, uh, I mean, a strawberry lemonade is, is delicious. My wife likes them quite a bit. Okay. And, again, the other item from DoorDash that made the list of the top three lunch items that are being delivered during the pandemic here in Dixie, nachos. That seems pretty low to have nachos delivered. I'm sorry. Uh, no cooking involved when you have nachos, usually. And um, that's pretty yeah. pretty pathetic. Lastly, the coup de gras is supper time, Matt Hermans. And according to DoorDash, they have their three choices of the top items in the South being delivered right now during the coronavirus pandemic. 
And you got your three choices here, one drink and then two food choices. Take a stab of one of those food choices that are among the leaders in DoorDash's results. I have a, guts, I have a gutsy guess here. Uh, fried catfish. Come on. Now. <laughs> nope. Fried chicken. Fried <sighs> chicken. Ribeye steaks. Your favorite, by the way. And then... The South comes through on the drink choice for supper time. Uh, the number one choice, Matt Hermans. Sweet tea. Sweet iced tea is number of one, course. according to DoorDash. So I'm proud of you, South. I'm proud of you coming through at least at supper time with some logical good choices here. Who doesn't like fried chicken? Who doesn't like ribeye steaks? And who doesn't like some good sweet iced tea? Matt Hermans, we appreciate it. And you have a good rest of your week, sir. You too. We'll All talk right. to you next time. Thanks, John. All right. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that just amazing? Matt does a great job talking about Southern food, and we're going to have him on weekly here on the show that covers everything Southern. We also talk a little politics, and when we come back after this time out on y'all, we'll hear from the 45th president of the United States as President Trump was on with Sean Hannity on Monday evening. We've got a clip of that, plus we'll hear from South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn. All that right here on Y'all. South Carolina boy there, Lee Bryce. We're going to be hearing from another South Carolinian in just a second, Representative Jim Clyburn, who is a pretty big power player in Washington, D.C. in terms of Democratic politics. But, hey, did you have a chance on Monday to catch Sean Hannity's interview from Mar-a-Lago with President Donald Trump? Really the first in-person sit-down interview I've seen with President Trump maybe since January 20th when he left office. And we've got a clip of that now on the Y'all Show that we're going to play for you. Just uh, nobody does it quite like Donald J. Trump. Um, and, and, and here Sean Hannity asked the big question that everybody wants to know. Is Donald Trump going to run for president in 2024? Is he really going to answer the question? Well, of course, only in Donald Trump forum would you get an answer quite like this. Take it away. Mr. President. Are you running again in 2024? What, what, what are the odds? If I were to First ask... First of all, it's a long time. The odds, the odds, what are the odds? Look, <laughs> the odds. I got the tremendous odds? Yeah. numbers. Nobody's ever gotten the numbers I got. No sitting president's come even close. There's more popularity now than there was the day before the election because they see how bad things are at the border. They see what's going on. They see that their guns are going to be gone. Their Second Amendment, their taxes are going up. Regulations are going through the roof. Jobs are going to go out. What do you see? You know, this is going to take a little while to show. But if they add all these regulations back, the jobs are going to be gone. Your energy independence is going to be gone. So I, I say this. I, I am looking at it very seriously beyond seriously uh, from a legal standpoint i don't want to really talk about it yet it's a little too if soon. you did run and did win what would you do differently 
Um, when I came in, we were hit with phony Russia, Russia, Russia investigations. It was a total phony deal. That was three years of your no, presidency. No. I've been I've been fighting off investigations for five years. I mean, really, since the almost the day that we came down and they were corrupt, Democrat inspired. I still have it. They were Democrat inspired investigations. Russia. I remember, Sean, and I don't have too much time, I guess, with you, but a story I think it's interesting. I haven't told it before. Uh, during the campaign in 2016, I'd be asked, like by one of our aides, sir, do you have anything to do with Russia? I say, no, no, that would be it. Then a month later, somebody would say, what do you know about Russia? I said, no, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I wouldn't think of it. Then after three or four or five times, people would say, do you know anything about Russia? I kept saying, huh. So after three or four times, I said, what's going on with Russia? They created a phony deal. It was paid for by Hillary, crooked Hillary Clinton. They made a phony Russian disinformation dossier. Destroyed. Oh, and they years. used it to spy right. on you as a candidate. Correct. Your transition team. And while you were president, it says at the top of a FISA warrant, verified. It was unverifiable, and they knew it 17 times. Again, that was from Monday night on Fox, where Sean Hannity sat down with President Donald J. Trump. Uh, I miss that guy. I don't know about y'all, but boy, I'm looking forward to hearing and or whatever the case might be with President Trump going forward, if he can do more interviews. Hey, President Trump will gladly let you talk all you want to here on the y'all show and of course if you're a democrat you can come on here and talk to well well we let everybody here on y'all speaking of democrats jim clyburn is the longtime congressman from south carolina and he is the house i think majority whip right now he's also been the head of the legislative black caucus in washington dc he was on msnbc reports the cable channel there talking about court packing and more and let's hear the interview now of the longtime Politico from the Palmetto State. I am going to be guided by the speaker of this because I am a supporter uh, of uh, President Biden's uh, commission to study this. There's no need to rush into this. Uh, let's let the commission go out, uh, look at uh, what their uh, recommendations might be, and then develop legislation. No, I'm not uh, going to be supportive of that legislation at this time. Okay, that was Jim Clyburn of South Carolina talking there about court packing, which is this narrative that the Democrats are going to try to increase the Supreme Court justices from 9 to 13. And it looks like Clyburn was sort of avoiding the question when asked on MSNBC reports from over the weekend. Now, coming up here in just a little bit in our news headlines across the South, we're going to continue on with some political talk. Tennessee's House of Representatives has some stuff come out on Monday. We'll tell you about that. Also, before we get out of here with our political report for the South, this last week we saw Vernon Jones, a former, I think, state representative in the state of Georgia who became a Republican, announced that he's going to challenge Brian Kemp for the governorship of the Peach State. And he had a big press conference this past week. Vernon Jones against Brian Kemp, and there could be others in the Republican side for the governor of Georgia. All this is part of our Southern Political Report. Well, that wraps up hour number one of y'all. We've got a whole nother hour headed your way 
on the show that covers everything Southern. Stay with us. Welcome back into y'all talking about everything in the southeast. We got you covered, scattered and smothered and more. I'm General John Raw, the general of all things Southern, and we want to hear from y'all if you have a question, comment, suggestion, anything to do with Dixie. 803-816-1170 is how you can call or text our operators standing by 24-7, by the way. 803-816-1170. Would love to get your input if you've got suggestions of any type. Maybe some breaking news. We'll take it right here on you all okay hour two today on the y'all show we're going to get it going here in a second with some entertainment headlines oh we cover all the hollywood stars and more especially if they've got a a southern twang to their thing we've got that coming up also we're gonna let the first hashtag hullabaloo of the 2021 edition of y'all fire away at you in just a few minutes so stick around for that more headlines from across the southeast also coming up and later this hour we're going to be chatting via telephone with y'all.com's kobe bennett he has got some stuff up on the homepage of the south y'all.com and we're going to get kobe's take on what he's been writing about so don't miss out on the fun with mr bennett later this hour and don't forget hour three today art cruz in with us to talk about sports and whatever is on How Great Thou Art's Mine. All that right here on the show that covers the South. Okay, headlines from the entertainment industry as we get you going here on the Y'all Show. And let's start off talking about our Texas girl. Do you remember back in the 1990s, at least in the late 1990s, I think this lady was maybe the... Uh, most talked about starlet at the time, Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I'm going to pull this up. I didn't have the bio on here when I first started this here. So let me pull this up just to make sure I don't butcher her age. Yes, I know that's what you want to know. How old is Jennifer Love Hewitt? She is currently... Don't, don't, don't. Jennifer Love Hewitt is 42 years old. Yes, 42-year-old Jennifer Love Hewitt. And uh, that really was her birth name, Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I think she goes by Love, if you're a close friend, born February 21st, 1979 in Waco, Texas. Been married since 2013 to Brian Hallisay. They have two children. And she, of course, known for her time on television as she was back in the 1990s on Party of Five. Then she's starred in all kinds of other things and movies as well, like Heartbreakers, The Tuxedo, and more. But now she's been on 911. And 911 star Jennifer Love Hewitt reveals she broke a lot of blood vessels filming a labor scene on that show. So, yeah, she was going to be, I think, on Monday night's return of 911. And while she was working on that, she evidently had a scene where she was birthing a baby. And uh, she she says that with both of my children, I labored for a long time, but I pushed only twice. So I got very lucky to only push a couple of times. So I never pushed for like nine hours straight. So it was a lot. I had a very bad migraine, Jennifer Love Hewitt says. I broke a lot of blood vessels in my face 
as she talked about her birthing scene on 911. Her character, Maddie, had a pregnancy and, and gave birth, and she uh, was talking about it there. Birthing, I mean, I, I, if you're a mother, she's actually, I said, birthed two real live babies of her own, and now she she does it on a television show, and it's actually, it, it appears from what she's saying, worse on doing a portrayal of birthing a baby than, than actually doing it. And I can't say much because yours truly has never birthed a baby. That's one thing I don't think I'm going to be able to do. But Jennifer Love Hewitt saying that uh, they're portraying that for her show, 911, it appears was even worse than in real life. Ooh. Can't only imagine. That's something, ladies, all of you out there, our moms of the Southeast, thank you so much. We know it ain't easy. We know it's not easy. I don't think it was supposed to be easy. I think, uh, I believe Eve kind of uh, set the standard for having painful baby deliveries by partaking, if you know what I mean. And uh, the man had to end up having to be a big worker. So that's uh, going back to Genesis, if you uh, will, with the birthing of babies and the pain there. But according to Jennifer Love Hewitt, the 40-something actress, it was easier in real life than on her TV show. Speaking of TV shows, Downton Abbey, the Downton Abbey franchise. We have an update on that. It's going to be returning with a second film as a movie came out in 2019, a film adaptation of the PBS series. And I've actually seen that. I, I, I enjoyed Downton Abbey. Have y'all had a chance to see that? You got plenty of choices now. In fact, even movies coming out. But yeah, Downton Abbey now going to have a second film, a follow-up. I I didn't see the film. Maybe you did. Was it was it worth seeing? And I, I think it just like most TV shows in my PBS snobbery here. I thought it was so much better in the early part of the of the series, and it got a little ridiculous as it went along. But that's just my opinion, and I don't think I'm the target demographic of PBS and Downton Abbey as this thing is. Going to be out. Their official Twitter account, Downton Abbey, says we're thrilled to announce that Julian Fellows and the entire Downton cast are back for Downton Abbey 2 with Hugh Dancy, Laura Haddock, Natalie Bay, and Dominic West joining. The film will be in theaters this Christmas, and it's part two of the movie of Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, the movie that came out a few years ago, made nearly 97 million buckaroos. I don't know how many... British pounds, that would be. Made $97 million at the box office, becoming Focus Features' highest-grossing film of all time. I would say that's pretty good. The next film, this one that they promise will be out before Christmas, it's got a scheduled premiere of December 22nd of 2021, and I'm not a very good British speaker, so I apologize for all of our British audience listening in to y'all talk with a southern accent. But a second, Downton Abbey is coming our way later this year if things don't get messed up with uh, coronavirus concerns and things of that ilk. Okay, how about the MTV Movie and TV Awards? We've got the list of nominees that was just announced. And here we go with the best movie, uh, as these awards will be taking place over two nights, May 16th and the 17th. Best movie nominees from MTV, Borat's subsequent movie film, Judas and the Black Messiah, Promising Young Woman, Soul and to all the boys, always and forever. Best movie nominees. 
the best show nominee from MTV is Bridgerton, Cobra Kai, Emily in Paris, The Boys, and WandaVision. Best performance in a movie, Carrie Mulligan's Promising Young Woman, Chadwick Boseman's Mrs. Rainey's, I'm sorry, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Daniel Kalia, Judas and the Black Messiah, Sasha Baron Cohen's The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Zendaya's Malcolm and Marie. And let's see, how about, I mean, the MTV Awards kind of gets a little a little weird, okay? Or you might say a little cool, depending on your age or demographic. They have a category called Best Kiss in this MTV Awards. And the Best Kiss nominees are from Outer Banks, Chase Stokes, and Madeline Klein. From Killing Eve, the best kiss, Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh. Is Jodie Comer a boy or a girl? I don't know. Stand by for news on that uh, because that could be, uh, that makes it interesting. Uh, Jodie Comer. See, I'll be honest, one of my strengths are what, but Jodie Comer is a female, an English actress. So that's a female kissing scene there from Killing Eve, Sandra Oh, Jodie Comer. All right, Lucas Bravo, Lily Collins, and Emily in Paris. And I think Lily Collins is Phil Collins. I think that's his daughter. And she appeared in The Blind Side. Let me double-check that one. Again, I got a lot to learn, especially when it comes to movies that aren't necessarily targeting men over the age of 21. And and so some of these actresses of today, I'm not totally up with on – their names and who they are and their their IMDb status. Lily Collins, why is that not showing up here? We gotta we gotta know because I remember Blindside. That was pretty amazing her performance there. Yeah, that is her. Lily Jane Collins, daughter of Phil Collins and American actress Jill Tavelman. And she was in the Blindside and Morning. You know, Blindside. Gosh, that came out two thousand nine time period. Lily Collins was so young in that movie, and now she's 32 years young. Yeah, 32 years young. A graduate of the University of Southern California. Fight on, USC. Way to go, Lily Collins there. But she's uh, nominated for Emily in Paris for a Best Kiss with Lucas Bravo. Okay, have no idea how to pronounce this person's name. Ramakashrian and Jaron Lewison in Never Have I Ever. That's a Best Kiss nominee. And from Bridgerton, Rijay Jean Page and Phoebe Dienvor from Bridgerton. Best Kiss there. All right, let me see if there's any other fun stuff to talk about. They've got a nominee in the MTV Awards for Best Dating Show. Have y'all seen any of these things? 90 Day Fiance, X on the Beach, Love is Blind, Ready to Love, and The Bachelorette, Best Dating Shows out on the uh, boob tube these days. And finally, in the MTV Movie and TV Award nominee category, the best host category. Maybe I'm going to show up here for the y'all show. Nicole Byer nailed it. Best host nominee, Rob Dyrdek and Ridiculousness. RuPaul. Wow, that's a name blast from the past. But she, she slash he is uh, doing well in the host world these days with RuPaul's Drag Race. T.J. Lavin and the challenge and last is Tiffany Haddish and Kids Say the Darndest Things. That is the nominee and list of best host from the upcoming 
MTV Movie and TV Awards show set for two nights, May 16th and 17th on, you guessed it, MTV. And that is a quick look at some entertainment goings-on across Hollywood and the rest of the South. And don't forget that later this week, in terms of fun and and great southernness, we're going to have Precious Harris from a good entertainment place, Nashville, Tennessee. She'll be on with the Nashville Music Line Report to tell us what's going on in Music City, USA. A lot going on there. They had the ACM Awards this week, and we'll get her take on that. All that later in the week with Miss Precious. Coming up on y'all, hashtag hullabaloo. What in the world is that? Well, you're you're going to want to make sure you stick around for it because it's something that is a whole lot of fun to talk about and learn. And we go to social media and find some really bizarre stuff out there. And you're going to want to make sure you stick around for that. That is coming up right after this time out on the show that covers everything in the South. Y'all, and don't forget, you can call us 803-816-1170. Love to get your text. Love to get your phone. If you've got something to say about the South, all that right here. Stay tuned. Everybody get ready for hashtag hullabaloo on the y'all show with John Rawl. Yeah, this is where we go on social media or sometimes social media comes to us with some of the most informative and some of the most absolutely ridiculous stuff out there on the worldwide, you know what, and it all ties into Dixie. So we're going to talk about it here. So get ready for hashtag hullabaloo and we go to at Willie Boo and I guess it's Willie or Wiley. You take a stab at this. The name is W-I-L-Y, Wiley Bo, Willie Bo Walker. And Willie Bo Walker has some cred. He got, some, he got some cred because he's got a blue check by his Twitter account, at Willie Bo. And he writes on his Twitter profile, there are 8 million stories in Voodooville. These are just a few of them. Now, what in the world is Voodooville and what in the world is Wiley Willie, Wiley Willie Bo Walker? Well... This is a person from across the pond that is a blues artist. And he writes on Twitter that Chattahoochee Coochie Man from the album Almost Transparent Blues is out. And I'm going to play it. I actually found this off of YouTube, and I'm going to cue it up and play it for us as we talk about Mr. W.B.W. Wiley Bo Walker. So let me hear what you think of this fella and just a second let me get this uh, queued up lots of moving parts here on the y'all show but we're doing this for all y'all so you can learn and and weigh in if you if you like what this guy's all about 803-816-1170 and we will gladly uh hear your take on this fella if he's got any good music coming his way from the southern slide i think is the name of this particular album from Wiley Bo Walker and 
And uh, I think we got this ready. So here we go. Here's some music from him. Like it so far? All right, Wiley Bo Walker. We'll let him keep on doing his thing while we do our thing. Telling you about this fella from, I think he's from Scotland. I do think that. Okay, let's learn more about Wiley Bo Walker. Renowned as being a diverse and prolific artist and having come originally from Glasgow. Not the one in Kentucky, the one in Scotland. <laughs> Wiley Bo works across many styles and genres or genres, depending on who you are. He works in the category of blues, gospel, soul, classic R&B, rock, jazz, and Americana from his acoustic Swamp and Stomp, uh, Swamp and Stomp Americana Voodooville. He shows the Wiley Bo Walker Acoustic Band with his selections, and he is, I mean, sounding good to me. He's an independent Scottish artist selling into 88 plus countries with a huge global following on streaming sites like Spotify. It's got over 5 million streams there. And his previous release was Moon Over Indigo from September of 2015. And uh, let's see here. Considered for a 2016 Grammy nomination, as was his prior collaboration with Grammy Award winner Danny Flam for Wiley Bo Walker and the Danny Flam Big Band. So there you are. Check him out. Wiley Willie. I should have actually got the Scottish correction on his name pronunciation. But this is the song called Chattahoochee Coochie Man from the album Almost Transparent Blues. And I saw this pop up on social media. And that's why we're giving him a a little spin here on the Y'all Show. Oh, yeah. All right. Y'all like that? Was that good? Let me know. 803-816-1170 is the way to do that. And uh, we'll see see what you think of how Mr. Walker, we'll just uh, shorten it up with his selection there of Chattahoochee Coochie Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, continuing on with the hashtag hullabaloo fun on this Tuesday edition of the Y'all Show. So you get a little bit of everything. I'm just, I'm giving you a fair warning. That's what happens here on the hashtag hullabaloo feature. Up next is from... The Visitor Guide, or rather E-Visitor Guide, and the Twitter account is at E-Visitor Guide. And E-Visitor Guide writes, and we're going to keep it in music now, the blues are back at world-famous Kingston Mines. Make this part of your Chicago plans a must-see with live music seven nights a week on two stages. Awesome Southern-style cooking, too. Fun goes late into the evening at Kingston Mines. Now, 
Of course, Chicago has had a long history of Southerners moving there, going way back until the uh, 1800s, frankly. But Kingston Mines, I got a T-shirt from there back 20-something years ago, and I have never been there. I had someone go there, brought me a T-shirt from there. Thank you very much, person, for doing that. Now, what is Kingston Mines? Maybe you're like me and you've seen T-shirts that say Kingston Mines, or maybe you've been to Kingston Mines. Let me tell you a little bit about Kingston Mines. It was started in 1968, and it is the largest and oldest continuously operating blues club in the Windy City and has two stages. Those two stages have been graced by the likes of Magic Slim, Coco Taylor, Sugar Blue, Billy Branch, Junior Wells, Mike Wheeler, Joanna Connor, and other musical greats. Kingston Mines has been the recipient of numerous awards over the years, including the Chicago Readers 2016 Best Blues Club, Chicago Music Awards 2016 Most Popular Blues Club Award, all that from Kingston Mines. And I don't have an address. I don't have the exact area of Chicago that it's in, but it must be in an area that attracts a lot of visitors because it is a tourist attraction there in Chicago, Illinois. And again, they play good blues music. And as they just told you here, they have plenty of good Southern food on tap there at that location in Chicago, or is it Chicago, Illinois, Kingston Mines. Check it out. Of course, here on this show, we love to talk about our Southern venues and One of the reasons that Kingston Mines is going out on social media here this week is because, just like every other venue around the whole world, they've been really, really hit hard by the coronavirus. And it looks like even in Chicago, with Mayor Lightfoot and more being real, real tough on people and businesses, that maybe they're they're starting to let the foot up a little bit in Chicago and uh, and people can go out and have fun. And I... I don't know about you. If you've been to Chicago, it is a fun place to go. It, it has great food, great music. I know it's a Yankee place. I know it's it's about as Yankee as it gets, but it's it's really nice, uh, a nice place to go to. And of course, a lot of the sports options there when those are up and going. And for a lot of Southerners, it's not that impossible to get to Chicago, our third largest city in this country, in a couple of hours. I mean, you, you, even driving. Driving, I guess, from northern Kentucky or even in the boot hill of Missouri, it's about a seven-hour drive, um, six hours, depending on how fast you're putting the pedal to the metal. But, yeah, it's it's a good option. And, and as you make your plans, all of us have been cooped up here for a year that uh, we love our south and go venture and have a good time here in this part of the world. But if, you, if you're looking for a place to – Maybe go to that's not too hard to get to and certainly not too hard to get around when you're there. Chicago is a good place because, frankly, for most of the South, our second largest city in this country, L.A., is way too far to drive. And that rules out a lot of us for who want to have our own car when we go. New York, our largest city, is a fun place. It's got a lot of stuff. But, man, would you really want to drive in New York City? I don't think so. I've driven more than once in Chicago, and if you time it up just about right, you really aren't. It's not that bad. I mean, I've gone through Chicago around rush hour, and yeah, it was a little little tough at times, but nothing unlike any of our major southern cities. I've had worse times driving in Atlanta, Georgia, than I have in Chicago. So it's a good option, good option if you're looking to sneak off somewhere 
in the coming months. All right, let's go on our hashtag Hullabaloo to this address on Twitter, at TasteMag, and that is where you'll find Taste of the South as they preserve the past and celebrate the future of Southern food. Oh, here on hashtag Hullabaloo, we get to talk about all kinds of stuff, including food. So get your hunger pains going now, thanks to Taste of the South. And they write, Nothing brings us out of a midweek slump like sweet strawberry chocolate chunk. And I see a picture there. I don't have the recipe, but you can go to Taste of the South on the World Wide Web and get the recipe for this. A sweet strawberry chocolate chunk. And it looks like something you cook in a skillet. It looks really, really good. Now, I don't have the recipe for that, but as we move along on hashtag Hello Blue, I do have some juicy info thanks to Acadiana's Thrifty Mom. And on Twitter, you'll find her at Acadiana Thrifty. Acadiana Thrifty Mom is a teacher, a coach, a blogger, a mom, and she's in Louisiana. Who would have thunk it that she'd be in the Pelican State? Her website is Acadiana's, with an S on the end, Acadiana's Thrifty Mom.com. And she has put out on social media a recipe for a classic Southern pimento cheese recipe. And it looks delicious. Now, if you're a pimento cheese aficionado, I singly, I kind of single this one out because it's from Cajun country, Acadiana. That's what we're talking about. So what do Cajuns do to pimento cheese? Do they do stuff a little bit different compared to maybe what you're used to with your, your way of doing things? Well, here's what her ingredient list is, and then I'll tell you how to mix it up. According to Acadiana's Thrifty Mom, to make her style of southern pimento cheese, you have a cup and a half of mayonnaise, and it probably ought to be Duke's mayonnaise, by the way. you got to have a four-ounce jar of diced pimentos that are drained. you got to have one jalapeno seeded and diced. you got to have 16 ounces of cheddar cheese that it's shredded. You can even use American cheese, she writes. And you got to have salt and pepper to taste. Now, to make her Acadiana twist to pimento cheese, mix all of those ingredients in a tight air container, okay, airtight container, and then use mason jars for the pimento cheese, and it will keep for about a week in the refrigerator, and then you let it sit in the refrigerator for about two hours before you serve it. So a pretty simple recipe. And you can go, again, to her website, Acadiana's, with an S, Acadiana's ThriftyMom.com and get this recipe for classic southern pimento cheese. And it looks mighty, mighty good if you're a pimento cheese fan. I'm, again, trying to kind of look at this compared to what I know about how other people make pimento cheese. Maybe her addition of jalapeno could make it a little bit spicier than the old uh, run-of-the-mills pimento cheese that some of you might like at the church socials and stuff like that and uh, that makes this one just a little different than uh, maybe the less exciting choices in terms of pimento cheese okay we are the y'all show that wraps up this hashtag color blue for this hour but if uh if if the cards and stars align we're going to have a second installment of this in hour three with art cruz so that ought to be a whole lot of fun you don't want to miss out on that so hang on more hashtag hullabaloo is coming up on y'all also coming up in just a few minutes after this timeout, 
We're going to continue on with some more headlines from across the southeast. And Kobe Bennett will be joining us here before the hour's up with his take on some stories at y'all.com. All that here on the show that covers everything in the south. This is Y'all. Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone Let's pretend that we're together all alone I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox way down low And you can tell your friend there with you You'll have to go. Oh, thank you, Mr. J.R., Jim Reeves, the other J.R. here on the Y'all Show. But he'll have to go, but we don't want you to go here on Y'all. We want you to stick around. We've got uh, a lot more to get to, frankly. We've got some headlines here coming up. Just a few minutes in our next segment, Kobe Bennett of Y'all.com is going to be on to talk about some of the great stories up at the homepage of the South, Y'all.com. Hour three, we've got Art Cruz with his take on sports and whatever else is in his amazing mind. All that ahead on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with Jean Raoul. Okay, looking at some of the headlines across the country, across the South. We told you in hour one, former Vice President Walter Mondale passed away on Monday. Of course, he was Vice President with Jimmy Carter, late 70s, early 1980s. That was the time period that he was vice president, and he passed away in his native Minnesota at the age of 93. Also, the ship that's kind of been, they've been looking for survivors, the Coast Guard suspending the search in Louisiana, where it looks like it's going to be more than 10 people end up passing away from that. The search called off. Country is on edge with the Chauvin trial on Minnesota in Minnesota going on right now. And what's going to happen with the results of that coming out? We're on standby. Let's go to Nashville. And the Tennessee House of Representatives in the news for a couple of stories that we'll tell you about. As the Tennessee House says that fetal remains must be buried or cremated. That is, at least in this legislation, as medical providers in the volunteer state would be required to cremate or bury fetal remains from surgical abortions under this new legislation that has been advanced by the GOP, GOP Republican-controlled House of Representatives earlier this week. The proposal sparked criticism, as you might expect, from reproductive rights advocates who argue that such measures, which have been enacted in other Republican-majority states, are unnecessary and would stigmatize a legally available Procedure. One Democrat, London Lamar, said, This is one of the most offensive pieces of legislation I've heard this year. So that is one thing that this, this uh, House of Representatives on the Hill in Nashville is in the news for. The proposal, of course, would need to clear the Senate before it could be signed into law by Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee. That's one story coming from the Tennessee House of Representatives. That ain't all. As the Tennessee House has now okayed a new transgender bathroom bill. Hey, Charlotte, North Carolina, are you listening? The Tennessee House lawmakers passed a bill that would put public schools and districts at risk of civil lawsuits if they let transgender students or employees 
use multi-person bathrooms or locker rooms that don't reflect their gender at birth. Again, we've seen this play out in Charlotte, North Carolina. They ended up losing an NBA All-Star game one year because of it. And here in the state of Tennessee, in Nashville, this has been a measure now taken up by the Tennessee House of Representatives, again, in a GOP-controlled General Assembly, similar to the other thing it's going to have to go through the Senate, and Bill Lee would have to sign it into law. But the Tennessee House okaying a new transgender bathroom bill. Didn't think I'd be talking about that here on a Tuesday on the Y'all Show. I also didn't think I'd be talking about snow, as snow is a possibility in Arkansas. I also see that it's a possibility in uh, Oklahoma, it looks like, Kentucky, and northwest Tennessee even, a chance of some snow flurries, very unlikely in some of those places. But a strong cold front is going to be passing through parts of the south later today with the potential to have rain transition to frozen precipitation, at least in north and northwest Arkansas. And this cold air is closely following a front, and it will likely cause some moisture to, again, go from precipitation, from from rain to snowfall. Again, likely only in Arkansas and Oklahoma and maybe in the southwest corner of Missouri. But uh, you might see a, a flurry or two in other portions of the southeast, yes. Snow in late April. I can officially say it's late April. It's April 20th here on the calendar. But a possibility, at least, is being set out. How about Memphis's own Sybil Shepherd? She's in the news. The Memphis State University alumnae, she was very uh, in the public eye on Monday as she attended a protest against the Bahalia Pipeline as she delivered remarks to a group in front of the National Civil Rights Museum in downtown Memphis. And she's the latest celebrity to come out and speak against the pipeline. This pipeline in the Memphis area is... The proposal is for a 49-mile crude oil pipeline that would travel through predominantly black neighborhoods and over parts of the Memphis Sand Aquifer, and that provides drinking water to millions in Shelby County. Memphis City Council members are going to vote on the ordinance to protect the aquifer today. But Sybil Shepherd in the news in her home area out there being an uh, active person with this pipeline proposal Sybil Lynn Shepard, born February 18, 1950 in Memphis. Of course, actress known for her role in movies and TV shows. And she was uh, kind of a big deal growing up there, attending East High School in Memphis. She went on to Memphis State, as I said, and then just a a very big role in Hollywood. A a true sex symbol, and I I think I'm right on this, Uh, an alumnus of Elvis Presley. I think I can say that, yes. Uh, She... uh, she and Elvis, I think, had a, a thing or two once. I think I'm right on that. Good for her. Good for her. She she uh, was certainly a beauty then, and she's a beauty today. I'll just go ahead and say it. Sybil Shepherd, active in her hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. All right. Here's a story that'll just get you going. The fairs of the Southeast are getting back up and going this year after many were shuttered in 2020, and at the Florida State Fair, if you want to go to that there in Hillsborough County in the Tampa area, some of the great food available this year, Cheetos Funnel Cake, Pickle Pizza, and Gelato Nachos, all that at the Florida State Fair, which runs April 22nd, that's Thursday, 
Thursday through May 2nd. Yeah, you can actually go to Florida, which is always a good thing, and go to Florida and go to a fair and have some of this wacky food at the Florida State Fair in the Tampa area. Sounds delish to me. All right, how about this story coming out of Middle Tennessee? They were supposed to have a marathon there this week, and it's been canceled. You know, everything seems to be canceled, but some stuff's trying to go on. Well, one person is not going to let the cancellation of Nashville's Rock and Roll Marathon get him uh, in the dumps. This person has decided they're going to have their own marathon as Christian Reed from White House, Tennessee, is going to have his own version of the Nashville Rock and Roll Marathon. And he said, I figured if I've done the training, what's the difference if there's a big event or not? And he's going out and raised some money. And so you're going to see Christian Reed have a marathon with one participant coming up here this weekend. Way to go, Christian. Great job there. And a marathon of one after the postponement of this huge marathon this time of year in Nashville, the Rock and Roll Marathon. I've been in Nashville when this thing's going on, and almost every hotel sold out in Music City, and it's a big, big honking deal, and good job for him to not let that keep him going. Now, this is kind of in the nerd category. I'm a nerd, so I like this, but My Plates is a website, and they're auctioning 25 rare two-character license plates from the state of Texas. I guess these were misprints when they were made by the I guess the prisoners in the Lone Star State. And so you can actually auction, go to this auction and try to get a rare two-character. And most of these look like they have numbers on them. And you can try to become the high bidder and get your own Texas license plate. How about that? If you want to check it out, go to My Plates for more information. Also, how about this story coming to us? A pastor's yard ended up having uh, pairs of shoes scattered all over it. And this person in Vienna, Virginia, was wondering what was up. And it's actually a pastor. Tim Duffy is his name. And he had all these shoes strewn throughout his yard in that part of Virginia. And it turns out these shoes were from all of his neighbors in the area. And do you know the guilty party of put, who put these darn shoes all over this guy's yard? It was a fox family. A, a, not not the fox is like a, a last name, a, the animal fox. This fox family was stealing shoes and putting them throughout the yard of this pastor in Virginia. How about that? And lastly here in our look at headlines from across the southeast, this is something we can uh, get excited about. Graduations. Remember when people used to have graduation speakers? Well, North Carolina State University alumnus Russell Wilson will be the speaker at his alma mater, NC State the Seattle Seahawks quarterback will be speaking there for their graduation stories at NC State and Raleigh. And the ceremony is scheduled for May 14th and 15th in the capital city of North Carolina. So NCSU, Russell Wilson, of course, played football for NC State before his last season of eligibility. Remember, he transferred and played for the Wisconsin Badgers uh, five, six, seven. I'll probably been a decade ago now that I re- actually think about it before going on to the NFL and all the great talent. He's a Virginia native, by the way, Russell Wilson. All right, when we come back after this break here on the Y'all Show, Kobe Bennett's going to be on to talk about what's going on at y'all.com. You don't want to miss that on the show that's all about the South.
changes every time When you think you're gonna win You think she's giving in The stranger's all you find Yeah, it's hard to figure out What she's all about But she's woman through and through She's a complicated lady So call her my baby All right, they all let's hear it. Oh, we referenced him in the previous segment. When you talk about the king, you better play some king music for us. Moody Blue from, of course, Mr. Presley. This is y'all. Talk with a Southern accent with John Raw. Art Cruz is coming up in the next hour. You don't want to miss that king. The king of the... Maybe we'll give him the king of the world if Elvis is going to take over that rock and roll mantle. We have him coming up, but right now on Y'all, we've got the king of y'all.com that's ready to join us to tell us about what's going on at the homepage of the South, and that king would be one Kobe Bennett. He's written some wonderful stories, and we're going to brag about the stories. We're going to brag about Kobe, and we're going to do that right now. Hello, Kobe. Welcome into Y'all. Thank you. I'm flattered. Uh, (laughs) uh, Do you mind being the king of Y'all? I'm sure. I don't mind. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I, I'm on the homepage of the South, of which you've penned some great stories there and uh, kind of looking them over right now, Kobe. You've done a, a – I mean, you talk about variety. There's stuff for everybody at y'all.com, but you've done a, a great job. And let's start out with, I guess, the most timely thing. It's Earth Week right now, and you've got a story up about how they're working to reduce river pollution on the Tennessee River I guess, in West Tennessee. So what's going on with this story? All right. So there's a bunch of volunteers, uh, this organization called Keep the Tennessee River Beautiful. And what they're doing is they're just trying to keep the, uh, the river clean for the most part. Um, they're like a subsidiary of that uh, Keep America Beautiful, but they're the only ones to exclusively focus on a river. Uh, and so far they've been making – some fairly, fairly uh, extreme progress that removed like more than 11 tons of trash from the river. Uh, and they've organized like all these cleanups from just across the seven states the river covers. So Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky, Georgia, North Carolina, and Virginia. And their latest efforts took place at Wheeler Lake and the Shoals, both located in Alabama. And this week, because it's Earth Day, uh, the, on April 22nd, they will be targeting uh, Clifton, Tennessee, before moving on to Humphreys County uh, during the following weekend. All right, this story again up at y'all.com. Kobe Bennett is our guest. He wrote this, Earth Week Reducing the Tennessee River Pollution. Check it out. Also, speaking of nature, <laughs> Kobe, you got a story up right now that scares me a little bit, and I don't even live in the Lone Star State. Earthquakes rattle Texas. What's going on? in the Lone Star State. All right, so down in Texas, uh, over the last couple of weeks, there have been uh, some earthquakes that have been uh, hitting the state. Now, most of them are pretty small, and not in the, any populated areas, most below like 2.5 on the Richter scale, which makes them like imperceivable. Uh, a few are a little higher than that, but not not have to do any damage, although there was at least one 4.3 magnitude quake that took place April 14th, and quakes that go beyond, like, 4.0 can will shake the condos of homes and businesses quite a bit, so uh, it was, thankfully, it was uh, not in the populated area, so there was no damage reported, 
but there was also a smaller quake that occurred earlier that day. I've also heard, this is not in the article, but there's been some other quakes detected, I think, in North Carolina and Tennessee. Um, so just be prepared. Uh, there's various earthquake uh, drills to participate in, you know, uh, hide under uh, like a table or a desk, or, and uh, just if you're feeling the ground quaking beneath you, you know. Uh, All right, Kobe, it's bad enough we already have hurricanes here in the south, and we've got something called tornadoes, and you're telling me we got to be worried about earthquakes? Come on, man. I mean, yeah, uh, Tennessee, I think, is on, like, a fault line, so we got to... Yeah, so we called the New New Madrid earthquake was probably the worst this country's ever seen. That was a little bit before I got here, so, yeah, we got to be careful of earthquakes. That's a a great story. Check it out, y'all.com. Kobe wrote that one. He wrote Earthquake. He also wrote something about fish. And uh, I'm not much of an angler. I don't know how you are, but uh, what you wrote about what they caught in Kentucky, the sawgye, I guess is how that thing's pronounced, which looks like it's more of a northern fish, but it's working its way southward. And somebody caught a record-breaking sawgye in Kentuck. Tell me more. All right, so fisherman Wolfgang Katzenberg set a new state record. He pulled in a 9.05 sawgye while he was fishing with his son on March 21st. Uh, it measured 27 inches long and, long and with a girth of 17.5 inches. And they initially thought it was a cat, catfish before catching it. Uh, the previous state record was 8 pounds, 8 ounces. Um, it was pulling in, just pulling in that fish was difficult for the, for the father and son because they lacked a net. And so they had to like wrestle it onto the boat. And, but by far the most challenging part of it was finding a scale to weigh the darn thing. Because they had to like, get it in order to qualify for the record, they had to get an officially certified scale, and so they had to call around like ten different stores before finding one that was willing to weigh the fish. And finally, they managed to get a Costco uh, to wheel out one of their scales to weigh the fish before this excited audience. And this was in Crittenden, Kentucky, uh, not Crittenden County. This was up in the North Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, not all that far from Cincinnati at the Bullock Pen Lake. Uh, again, a fish measuring 27 inches long with a girth of 17 and a half inches, uh, inches caught by Wolfgang Katzenberg. I like the name and I like the fishing skill of Mr. Wolfgang and his son Jeffrey out there catching this on the 21st of March. The Kentucky previous record, you might have said this, eight pounds, eight ounces. So quite a quite a big haul there catching this uh, 9.05 pound sawgye fish in northern Kentucky. And I tell you what, if you're fishing for great content, go to y'all.com. The homepage of the South, Kobe Bennett is there. He's writing stuff all the time, putting it up there. And the other staff members of y'all.com putting stuff up there. And, of course, y'all.com helps present this, the y'all show. And Kobe is very involved. In fact, Kobe, we're going to hear your lovely voice again in hour three because you are the voice of y'all.com's southern accent. So get ready. More Kobe coming your way in just a few minutes. How does that sound? That sounds great to me. All right. Uh, Sounds even better to me. Kobe, thank you for this content. Again, check it out. It's free, and it's at y'all.com. We appreciate it. Good job, sir. Yep, you're welcome. Anytime. All right, Kobe Bennett, y'all. 
And we've got another hour of y'all, the show that is, that's going to be coming up right after this break. So stick around for the fun. We're going to have Art Cruz back with us. We've got sports to talk about with Art. We have so much more to talk about with Art, and it's going to be so much fun to have you apart. And as I just said, i got to push stuff in the right slots here. We're also going to have Kobe Bennett with his report for y'all.com coming up in hour number three. All that coming up right here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. You don't want to miss the fun. 803-816-1170 is the way to get in touch with us. Hey, the Y'all Show is back here for another hour. Talk with a Southern accent. I'm John Rawl, now joined by Art Cruz to get us up to speed on what's going on in the world of sports and more. Plus, also in this second hour of Y'all, hang on. We've got a Southern accent report coming to us courtesy of Kobe Bennett and more hashtag hullabaloo fun before we get out of here for this third, our second day of the week and our third hour of y'all art good to see you welcome back to y'all john it's a honor and a privilege to be on with you and talk about all things southern yeah how about that art i don't think this was a mistake when i was getting ready for today's show i looked at the major league baseball calendar i don't see a single game slated for today is that right uh, I, I was not aware of that john yeah, I, I, unless unless my computer was an error i'm pretty sure there's not a single game set up for today which seems a little odd in today's world where they like to televise, have stuff on TV. So does that mean I'm going to have to be stuck watching the NBA tonight? Uh, no, John. There are plenty of movies I could recommend for you. Uh, there are some hubcaps. We can sit on the curb and watch them rust before I would recommend the NBA. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. not an NBA guy. Uh, that's all right. Well, let me talk about something that I think you might know a little bit about, and that's uh, SEC football, Tennessee football. Looks okay. like Joe Milton – a Michigan quarterback of 2020 is going to be Rocky Top Bound. What do we know about Mr. Milton? Well, I had said earlier, John, that when people would talk about the quarterback situation at UT, that I felt as though the person who would be quarterbacking the Vols in the fall was not yet on campus. Now, I said in hour one, I heard you say that yesterday. Uh-huh. I just didn't remember if we had that documented and you said that on the show, or was that off air? No, it, it, I said it on air. Uh-huh. Uh, there are very few times I'm right, John, so I'm going to highlight the times and that we, I'm right about actually, something. And you just brought it up. We have actually a recording of our show from Monday. we got a show today that's recorded. We have a podcast form of the show. Right. In case you miss any of it, you can go to y'all.com and hear it. So if you think Art's lying, <laughs> go and listen to our Monday show. And he said it. He says he said it on the air, on the record, that Tennessee's quarterback of 2021 will be it was not even on campus. Right, right. But but uh, we do have uh, Milton now. Uh, he's on campus. Uh, Joe he Milton. Is. Joe Milton. You can you can look it up. He is in the student registry. He has signed up for classes, and you've got to believe that Joe Milton will be the quarterback for the University of Tennessee this fall. He's a he's six four, or six five, two hundred forty five pounds. They make quarterbacks a lot bigger now, John, than they used to. Yeah. Uh, he is a Florida native. Pahokee, Florida is where he is. He's, from. A, he's another one from Pahokee, and Pahokee is a hotbed of 
high school football talent in Florida. Uh, he was recruited by all major programs out of high school. He did choose to go to Michigan. Uh, he did not flourish at Michigan. However, uh, you can look at his skill set, and it really fits the Josh Heupel offense that's going to be instituted at Tennessee. And with Joe Milton coming to Tennessee, uh, it look I cannot imagine at least – one of the quarterbacks that is already at Tennessee is going to have to leave, whether it's Harrison Bailey or Maurer or somebody. But I have to, I'll make a prediction right now. And unfortunately, as you say, this is recorded and people can check up on me. I believe Harrison Bailey will be the odd man out. I can see him transferring to another school with Joe Milton coming to Tennessee and having three years of eligibility left. Now, Tennessee, of course, the last few years, Jarrett Garantano had been the quarterback, and he still has eligibility. Did he transfer somewhere else? For some reason, Jarrett Garantano felt as though the greenest grass that could be found was in Pullman, Washington. He is going to be the quarterback for Washington State this year. Unbelievably so. I think it was time for Jarrett and the University of Tennessee to part ways. One of the big problems with the Jeremy Pruitt reign at Tennessee was that he couldn't find a quarterback. He couldn't solve the quarterback issue. Uh, I think with Joe Milton coming to Tennessee, along with Hendon Hooker, along with Harrison Bailey, along with Caden Salter, I think we've got now a room full of quarterbacks, and I can't see them going into uh, this fall with five of them. One of them will probably, like Jared Garantano, transfer to another school. All right, let's talk about some NFL quarterbacks. We saw on Tuesday Alex Smith, or Monday rather, announced his retirement from the game. A real feel-good comeback story of 2020 and just a classic, uh, classy guy, and now he's going to be off the gridiron. Well, I was, quite frankly, John, I was glad to see him retire. That, if you ever watch a documentary about Alex Smith, you can see – what he went through just to be able to walk again, much less to come back and play pro football. He proved that he could come back. He played a year. He played a year at a high level for Washington. And every time he faded back to pass, though, I would think, oh, gosh, don't hit him in the leg. Uh, I'm glad to see that he's retired. He proved that he could come back from that horrific injury. Uh and I, and I salute Alex Smith for his grit and toughness in coming back and playing one year. Before Art Cruz became the superstar that he is on the Y'all Show, he had a long <laughs> career in the legal profession as an attorney. And Deshaun Watson might need to have you on speed dial as the case of the Houston Texans quarterback is just uh, getting more and more bizarre every day. His attorney, Rusty Harden, has filed an answer to the 22 lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. And the argument from Harden is basically the 22 women who've said that he did some things inappropriately with them, they're all lying. So, Art, if you were advising Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans, what, what would you say? What would you do? Well, it's difficult to say, John. Uh, Rusty Harden is Deshaun Watson's attorney. And, of course, I don't know Rusty Harden personally. I do know that he is the heir to uh, Racehorse Haynes, who was one of the most celebrated criminal defense lawyers in Texas. What a name. Yeah, a, a perfect name for an attorney, a, a criminal defense attorney. But now, as you say, John, we've got 
22 lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. I would think that each individual case should stand and fall on its own. However, Rusty Harden has made the decision to lump all 22 plaintiffs together and say that all 22 plaintiffs are lying. That pretty much that pretty much says that he's not going to go with this, at least publicly, with a defense as to each individual case. To me, John, it shows a weakness in Deshaun Watson's case. Uh, when you have to say, uh, oh, everybody is lying. That's okay if there are one or two people who you allege not to be telling the truth. But to allege a 22-person conspiracy and all of them conspired to lie against Deshaun Watson, I don't see it. I think it indicates a weakness in their case. And the question now not is who is Deshaun Watson going to be traded to. That was the, that was the story at the beginning of the year. Now the story is, is Deshaun Watson ever going to play pro football or is he going to jail? We have really entered into a zone of seriousness for Deshaun Watson and if his only defense is, quote, they're all lying, close quote, uh, I don't look forward uh, to, to Deshaun Watson being active in the NFL anytime soon. Well, you weighed in on racehorses, heir apparent. What about the job that the 22 women have? The attorney, Tony Busby, is their attorney representing the 22 women who filed lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. What, how would you rate Tony Busby's performance thus far? Well, thus far, Tony Busby has, of course, tried his case uh, in the in the media, and um, that is what a lot of attorneys do in these high-profile cases. The question is whether... Uh, Busby will be able to take his clients and has sufficient evidence to win a judgment against Deshaun Watson. Uh, Busby is a high-profile attorney in the Houston area. He he ran for mayor at one time. He's quite flamboyant. Uh, but I try to. He's cut. an Aggie. <laughs> Core <laughs> cadets too. There. Yeah, I try to cut through the. Um, through the chaff and, and look to the, the core of the matter here. I, I try not to pay attention to the public statements of, of these attorneys. And right now, uh, Rusty Harden uh, has made a defense that I don't feel is very effective. But Tony Busby, when you have 22 plaintiffs, you've got to remember, John, for him to come out on top personally, for his reputation He's only got to hit on one of these. Uh, he can, he can, <laughs> Pretty good odds. Yeah, he can fail uh, to win on several of these cases, but let's just say he wins on 10 of them, less than half. Then that's going to cement Tony Busby's name and his reputation for his future in Houston. And the real question, as you posed before we got going here, was is, is Deshaun Watson's time as a professional quarterback over with? I would say it's looking that way. And so what the Texans do, well, we've already seen where they got the well-traveled quarterback. I think he was with the Colts before, is down there now. Uh, oh, gosh. You're, 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 um, former either Miami or Duke quarterback. Yes, I can see him as plain as day, and for some reason I can't recall his Might have been with the Chargers last year. Um, it was with the Colts last year. And, John, you've hit me. You've All right, well, we'll come up with it. You know, and I can't pick on you because I was totally wrong on the Major League Baseball schedule. The <laughs> website I went to was totally wrong. There's a busy day in Major League Baseball. In fact, we got one heck of an interleague matchup to tell you about. The MLB schedule for today, Dodgers at Seattle, 
and the White Sox will be at the Cleveland soon-to-be-not-Indians. Minnesota will be at the Oakland A's. The Atlanta Braves will be playing at New York Yankees, that is. Will they be throwing baseballs at the Bravos? We'll have to find out. The Pirates of Pittsburgh will be playing interleague against the Detroit Tigers. The O's will be against the Miami Marlins. D-backs will be at Cincinnati. The San Francisco Giants will be playing against the Steak, Philly Steak and Cheese Company. The Cardinals will be against the Nats. The Blue Jays will be taking on the Boston Red Sox. Did you see those Red Sox uniforms from this week? They've, they've got the city edition. They look like UCLA out there with blue and yellow. Red Sox. If I wanted to recommend something to someone that would certainly work if they wanted to induce vomiting, I would recommend <laughs> they look at those uniforms. So I, you I, did I, see them. I don't understand, John. I don't understand the supposed to represent of, the Boston Marathon. That's what. It, <sighs> that's the inspiration behind them. Of all the things Boston is known for, I, it's hard for me to believe that the Red Sox would pick and choose the marathon as the focus of their uniforms. I, the Boston Red Sox, to me, have one of the cleanest. Major League Baseball uniforms. Not the best, of course. I would rate the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Cardinals uniforms ahead. But they do have a clean, uh, traditional home uniform. And it it really surprised me to see that the John Henry-led Boston Red Sox would do this. But it's 2021, and I'm surprised every day, John. And you should be. Okay, other games in Major League Baseball here on this Tuesday. The Mets will be at Wrigley to take on the North Siders of Chicago. Tampa Bay will be at Kansas City. The Astros at Colorado, Texas at the L.A. Angels. Minnesota will be, uh, I guess, a twin bill with Oakland. And Milwaukee will be playing the San Diego Padres. That's what's happening in Major League Baseball. And wrapping up with Art Cruz here in our sports feature how about Stephen Curry? I know you don't keep up with NBA too much, but, man, he is a point-making machine. Well, he's, he's one of the greatest. And I hate when people say this, when they throw out the word great and they throw out the word all-time, but there is no doubt Steph Curry is one of the greatest shooters, and not of our time, but of all time in the NBA. Uh, he's a pleasure to watch. He takes the ball to the rack takes it to the hole more often than you might imagine. He, and The fact that he's such a great shooter and you've got to get out on him and guard him forces him to put the ball on the floor sometimes and take it to the hole. And he is fearless when he does that. He will be an NBA Hall of, Hall of Famer, excuse me. And uh, as I said, one of the greatest shooters in NBA history. 49 points on Monday evening as he recorded his 11th straight 30-point game and his fifth 40-point game in a row since April started. Steph Curry, great shooter, great American, and I think he's actually kind of a nice guy as well. Way to go, that native. He's a good no- golfer, John. North Carolina. Yeah, that's even more important, a great <laughs> North Carolinian. Hey, we've got more going here in this third hour of y'all. Stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to have Art Cruz. He's got something to say, and we'll let you know what that is. Don't forget, we also have a Southern Accent Report from Kobe Bennett headed your way also this hour as we wrap up the show that's all about the South.
Welcome back, everyone, to The Y'all Show. This is Art Cruz. I'm helping out John Rawl in the third hour of the show today. We're here to talk about a little sports uh, and the politics that emanate from sports. As I said, this is Art Cruz, and right now I'm throwing it back to our captain and our fearless leader, John yeah. Rawl. Hey, good, good to have you back here, y'all. 803-816-1170 is the way to get in touch with you and... We were just talking about baseball. I thought they were taking the day off, but they're working, actually working today. There was a time, Art, not long ago, I thought they would be working in Atlanta for an all-star game. And Rob Manford, the commissioner, decided, no, we're going to take this on to Denver and the Colorado Rockies for this year's all-star game. Frankly, I just thought they would just cancel the all-star game after the whole voting shenanigans happen with Georgia's new law down there. I thought that was an easy way to cancel the whole All-Star game, but they decided to play it, and they moved it. Art, what say you? Well, of course, John, whether the overall question is is whether baseball as as a business should be involved in local politics like this. As you said, the All-Star game was set to be played in Atlanta, Georgia, and Major League Baseball, not the teams, not the players, but Major League Baseball. Rob Manfred, commissioner of baseball, decided to move the game from Atlanta to Colorado in response to a newly passed Georgia voting rights bill. And, and John, what I think about it, I think it's a major, major Swing and miss by Major League Baseball. I like the way you put that. <laughs> you, you've got look. They claim when I say they, I mean Major League Baseball. They claim that they moved the game out of Atlanta and out of Georgia because of this new voting rights bill and the way it unfairly affects minorities. Well, it unfairly affects minorities in this sense too, John. Cobb County, where the All-Star Game was going to be played in Atlanta, estimates that it will lose more than $100 million as a result of the All-Star Game moving. Atlanta is a city with a 51% black population. It is the largest black majority metro area in the nation. And to me, then, that's a peculiar way a very peculiar way for professional baseball to show solidarity with the African-American community. They moved the game to Denver, which has a 9% minority population, and yet Major League Baseball says they are still going to honor Henry Aaron this year as a Major League icon, but yet moved the game out of Atlanta, Georgia. In response to a voting rights bill, well, they need to take a look, John, I believe, at the Colorado voting rights bill. Colorado has more restrictive voting laws than does Georgia. You still have to show a photo ID if you want to vote in Colorado. You still have to show identification. You can still, as a matter of fact, drop boxes for absentee ballots. There are going to be more in Georgia than there are in Colorado. I'm really disappointed that Rob Manfred decided to fall in with the woke crowd and fall in with the social justice warriors and take the game out of the state of Georgia and out of the city of Atlanta 
for quite frankly, no reason other than pressure being put on him by the Blue Checkmark Brigade and the other folks in our woke society. fellow named Clay Travis is very outspoken on this subject, as he is on a lot of subjects like this. And as Mr. Travis would say, once you go broke, I mean, I'm sorry, once you go woke, you go broke. You go and, broke. And his numbers, according to Outkick, the coverage and his website and more that's been on this story, according to Clay Travis... Let's see, Major League Baseball had some kind of favorability ranking of of uh, conservatives, Republicans of around 52, 50, maybe around 60%. And after this whole all-star uh, movement by Rob Manfred, that dropped down to about 10%. They've lost half their audience, is, is the point Clay Travis was making. Well, you only have to look as far as what you mentioned before john the nba if you want to see what happens to a sport when they go woke you do indeed go broke viewership for the nba is at an all-time low i don't really understand the motivation of rob manfred to do this some people say that he did it in order to shield the players in other words he felt as though there was going to be some kind of boycott from those who were against this voting rights law, and there was going to be pressure put directly on the players not to participate in the All-Star game. By injecting himself in the middle of this and moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta to Colorado, he has effectively shielded the players from any personal decision about boycotting the game. And if if that was his intent, I understand that. But it seems to me that it could have been solved better. We can walk and chew gum at the same time in our society. If Rob Manfred wanted to shield the players, he could have. If Rob Manfred wanted uh, to keep the game in Atlanta while he was shielding the players, he could have. He could have just made a statement that Major League Baseball, by holding its game in Atlanta, Georgia, is taking no position on the laws of that state regarding voting or any other law of the state. However, if any Major League Baseball player individually felt strongly that he should not participate because of what is going on politically in Georgia, that player is free not to participate. And that's all it would have taken, John. But yet, he goes in, Rob Manfred does, with the nuclear option and moves this $100 million windfall out of Atlanta to Detroit, uh, excuse me, to Denver. It is just a, an overkill of the greatest magnitude. And from what I know about this subject, I think it was more of Manfred and Manfred alone making this choice. It's not like he polled all of his owners and got their feedback. Is that is that a fair statement? That is, that is eminently a fair statement. Once again, I think Rob Manfred, in doing this, had in his interest shielding the players and also shielding the owners in the same way. Uh, the owners would have been pressured by outside groups not to allow their players to participate in the All-Star game in Atlanta. And Rob Manfred did this, I think, with good intentions. However, uh, that, as you well know, John, the result of good intentions sometimes leads to unintended consequences, and I think that's what we're having now, specifically mentioned by you, uh, the viewership and the popularity of baseball is going down. People want to go and enjoy sports. 
They want to get away from politics. John, with you and I go to a baseball game or a football game, we're cheering our team. And when our team scores a touchdown or our team hits a grand slam home run, we turn around and we high-five people that are next to us in the stands. We don't care about their ethnicity. We don't care about their religion. We don't care about their politics. Sports brings us together. And when we high-five our neighbors sitting in the stands, we've left life's worries behind. But Rob Manfred in baseball, by injecting politics into the game, has taken that enjoyment away from us. Now we have to think, uh, is the person sitting next to me for or against the Georgia voting rights bill? I think it's an unnecessary step, and it's taking baseball and all professional sports down the wrong road. Well, MLB following on the heels of some of the idiotic decision-making of the NBA. In fact, the NBA in the news this week, they already said that based on what happened with the Chauvin trial, that's going to greatly impact some of their games. It shouldn't have anything to do with it. Uh, I will tell you that the Atlanta Braves, I would say, probably are one of my top 30 Major League Baseball teams. (laughs) I really like the Atlanta Braves. and One of your top 30. (laughs) They're one of my top 30 baseball teams, for sure. And... I was proud that the Braves actually came out against Major League Baseball's decision. I figured they were going to be muted and go along with the decision, but they stood up and said, no, this this should not have been moved. And frankly, as the fact that I'm one of their – they're one of my top 30 teams, I hope that some of the Braves players skip the All-Star game because they got screwed. Haven't, I mean, this thing should be in Atlanta. I haven't thought about that, John. That would be a really stand-up effort by – one or more of the Braves, you know, it, it's it's. It would be a brave decision. It would be a brave decision. I, I, you teed that one up for me, and I failed to knock it off. But, uh, but uh, you've got people in Georgia like Stacey Abrams. Yeah, she's the only reason this thing came out. I'm sorry, but Stacey Abrams, even Stacey Abrams, voting rights activist in Georgia, who ran for governor and claimed that the election was stolen from her, even Stacey Abrams ask Major League Baseball not to move the All-Star but game. But only after it caught so much grief. I mean, she she was silently pulling for it to happen, I think. That's my opinion. But but uh, I think she's got such an influence that people – remember, this whole story started because there's a Major League Baseball Players Association. Correct. And they're the ones that asked that Manfred consider it, and then he considered it and did it. Well, I don't doubt that Stacey Abrams has an agenda and is working behind the scenes to further her own political career. But Rob Manfred has to react to what is made public and what is the public's perception of Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. And the public perception is not what you think or what I think. We both know Stacey Abrams has an agenda, but her public statements were, let's keep the All-Star game in Atlanta. So she didn't bring any pressure publicly on Rob Manfred, but yet Rob Manfred still buckled to, as I say, the blue check mark brigade and moved the game out of Atlanta in response to a voting rights bill to a state that has more restrictive voting rights than Georgia does. To Atlanta's credit, the city of Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves' new home, which was SunTrust Park, now it's Truist Park, is not technically in Atlanta. It's actually in Cobb County, and they moved there specifically to get away from the city of Atlanta. Well, uh, that's true, and uh, it's just 
a search and search for a justification for moving this game that passes muster. But, John, I can't come up with it. If we are going to get involved with the local politics of every baseball team, does St. Louis have to look at the election laws in Missouri? Does Do the Marlins have to look at the voting right laws in, in Florida? Where does this end? It's almost like the court packing we talked about yesterday. If the Democrats want to pack the court with three more justices when the Republicans are in power, what will they do? They will pack the court again. So it's, 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 you take it to its illogical conclusion, and there is no end. Well, there's no end to this either. Where does Major League Baseball stop? When do they stop dipping the toe in the water? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Put a halt to it. Art Cruz, everybody. We've got more y'all on the way. We've got a Southern Accent Report courtesy of Kobe Bennett. That's coming up, plus more fun. It's the show that's all about the South. We'll be right back. an old jukebox jockey spending my time spending my money feeding this habit with hardcore country i'm just an old jukebox jockey i can't stand it here music stop i keep dropping my quarters in the slot i play every song from a to z i'm just an old jukebox jockey oh hermitage tennessee's on ken mellon's Mid-90s jukebox junkie, I tell you what, that's something I miss. Ken Mellons, no, jukeboxes. We're talking with Art Cruz here, John Rawl. When's the last time you put a quarter in a jukebox? Gosh, John, I don't even know the last place I saw a jukebox. Come on now. Uh, The places where jukeboxes... I guess you haven't been in a Waffle House lately. Do they still have jukeboxes yeah. in Waffle House? They even have their own songs. Oh, my gosh. Waffle I didn't House know songs. I'm, I'm so busy. I'm concentrating on something else when I go into Waffle House rather than music. But you picked me off, John. I thought you said you were going to play uh, Georgia's own Allman Brothers when we came back from break. And, I, and I lied to you. Oh, you picked me off. I was No, I, I've got a little technical thing i got to figure out with my laptop. that It won't play wave files, and Allman Brothers was wave file, and it wouldn't play. So I'm... Playing something called an MP3 right now. Well, I was going to try to identify whether it was the great Dwayne Allman playing lead guitar or the great Warren Haynes playing lead guitar who followed Dwayne Allman after Dwayne Allman died in a motorcycle accident or the great Derek Trucks. Yeah. I mean, the Allman Brothers, obviously. Sounds like you like those guys. I like those guys from Georgia. They have had a history of great lead guitarists. Uh, but they don't sound like this. Junkies spending my time, spending my money, beating this habit with hardcore country. I'm just a no jukebox junkie. I can't stand it here. Music. Oh yeah, Ken Mellon's again. His name. Check it out. If I go into Waffle House, will that be one of the selections I might choose? For Ken Mellon's sake, I hope you're right. No, I don't think so. That one too old. That one was a almost one hit wonder. Ken Mellon. All right, that's some good music. We love our music. We love our music history, and we love to have fun here on the Y'all Show, and we like to edumacate here on the show that's all about the South with Art Cruz and John Rawl. And Kobe Bennett was on with us in hour number two. I don't know if you heard that young man when he was on with us a few minutes ago. Did I you didn't. I was doing a little show prep, Oh, my John. goodness. 
Well, Kobe is with y'all.com. He does a fantastic job putting up stories, but he also files the Southern Accent Reports from y'all.com. And we're going to have our first Southern Accent Report courtesy of Mr. Bennett right now on the Y'all Show. We'll find out what in the world he's got to say from the South's homepage. Southern Accent. Here's what's entertaining the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Hard to believe it's almost been a decade since we lost Southern acting legend Andy Griffith. The Andy Griffith Show, for which he is best known, took place in the homely fictional town of Mayberry, North Carolina, where Griffith portrayed town sheriff Andy Taylor. The Mayberry setting was based on Griffith's own hometown of Mount Airy, North Carolina, which has since become so synonymous with the name of Mayberry that both it and Mount Airy are interchangeably used as names by its citizens. Every year, the small country town celebrates the show that helped put them on the map with the Mayberry Days Festival near the end of September. Griffith is immortalized there in the Andy Griffith Museum that contains the world's largest collection of Andy Griffith memorabilia and is located a half a mile away from the star's childhood home. In a 1998 interview with Michael Rosen, Griffith himself said, So, Mayberry really was the star of the show. Sheldon actually said one time, I think we misnamed this show. Should have been called Mayberry to start with. So it seems appropriate that Mount Airy pays tribute to the man who gave them so much. Entertainment headlines and more at y'all.com. Man, how great was that to hear Andy Griffith, the voice of Andy, right here on the Y'all Show. John, I've, I've, I've many times just thought about reading a script from the Andy Griffith show, uh, just reading the lines for the actors. And, you know, it wouldn't really be funny. But with Andy Griffith delivering the lines and Don Knotts delivering the lines, I mean, they gave us comedy gold for, what, 15 years in that show. Yes, they did. And a, a great North Carolinian. I've been to Mount Airy, North Carolina, right on the Virginia border great little town we've actually done interviews for y'all.com on mount airy and and like he said it's kind of interchangeable between mayberry and mount airy uh just a just a beautiful all american town an all southern town one funny thing andy griffith connected to me i had a chance to interview him not long before he passed and he would have been in his mid-80s i assume at that time 2004 i think was the year and he was so on top of it. He did a really? great job, except he had just come out with a gospel album, and he kept calling the liner notes on a CD, he kept mm-hmm. calling that a phone book. So mm. it took me a while to pick up on what he was talking about when we were doing the interview, but uh, luckily I, I kind of figured out. And he, he did a lot of music. He came to Nashville a lot, did some stuff, and he and his wife, I think her name was Cindy, lived in Manteo, North Carolina. That's way up uh, near the Outer Banks is where they called home. But, yeah, just a, a true, true Southern acting and uh, just a, just an icon. Andy Griffith, a product of the University of North Carolina. You know, people obviously know Andy Griffith mostly because of the Andy Griffith show and uh, his television work. But as you well know, John, Andy Griffith started out as a, a comedian and a musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, far from, if you look at the original Andy Griffith shows, maybe in season one or season two, Andy talks with a deep, deep Southern drawl. And that was part of his comedy act that he was trying to translate over into the TV medium. As time went on, Andy became the, the icon of Mayberry, the all-knowing, all-seeing, uh, 
presence in in, in Mayberry, the calming influence to counter Don Knotts. But Andy Griffith had a great career, cut several comedy albums and several musical albums before he ever started on The Andy Griffith Show. Would you consider yourself, Art Cruz, an Andy Griffith Show aficionado? I love The Andy Griffith Show. I've watched every episode, to my knowledge. But every time I think I may be good at Mayberry or Andy Griffith trivia, my wife brings me back to earth. She knows more about the Andy Griffith Show. Right? Uh, well, we I, need to get her in here. But I, I love it. I love the Andy Griffith Show. I quite frankly still watch it uh, most every day. Where is the easiest and best way for someone to watch the Andy Griffith Show? Well, it's on TV Land. TV Land has it? Yeah, that, that network uh pretty much every day and also it's on the sundance channel uh that's an odd pairing but you do find the andy griffith show on the sundance channel quite a bit all right didn't know that and i guess it might have been where i grew up when andy griffith that show was in syndication on Mm -hmm. broadcast tv in my home area growing up it came on at a terrible time on a terrible station that didn't come in very clear back in the days where you had to have an antenna so i didn't grow up watching andy griffith uh i'm more of a gomer Pyle fan that's that's my speed. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Well, golly. Yep, you're right. I like uh, Gomer Pyle. That's that's my. Did you show. know that Sergeant Carter and Gomer Clarksville, Pyle, Tennessee. Clarksville, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I can't recall the actor's name. Frank. Uh, golly, Bill, I shouldn't have brought it up. I apologize. But I don't even know his name on the show. Uh, Sergeant Carter. That's uh, right. Oh, was it? Was it what was his first name? Vince. That's what I thought. Vince that's, Carter. Which is the NBA guy, right? And uh, That's right. I didn't know uh, Sergeant Carter could dunk, <laughs> could have been his son. dunk in your face and posterize you in the uh, pickup games at the, at the Marine base. Yeah. But, um, but he um, was a Clarksville, Tennessee native. Pretty neat stuff here on the All Show. See, we, we mix in Andy Griffith and food and music and sports and a little bit of everything. I tell you. I'm not bragging. I think we got some for all y'all here on the Y'all Show. We want you to be a part of our show. 803-816-1170 is the number to call to get in touch with us, and we would love to hear from you. In fact, we got a caller standing by that we're going to get to, and we'll do that right after this timeout here on the show that's out all about the South. Stay with us. This is Y'all. <laughs> Sometimes I'm down I can't make my living Around this town Cause tricks ain't walking Tricks ain't walking no more I said tricks ain't walking Tricks ain't walking no more All righty, final segment of this Tuesday Y'all Show. John Rawl, Art Cruz, back with you, 803-816-1170. Text us, call us 24-7. We welcome your feedback here on the show that's all about the South. Man, this hour, Art, has gone by. This show's gone by rather quickly. Seems like I just got here, John. Yeah, I think you just did, but that's okay. We aren't. Who's counting? Who is counting? All right. Uh, we are going to go, speaking of that telephone number, we've had... A caller that's been kind enough to wait through the break, and so we'll find out again what's on the South's mind here 
And we welcome everybody again, 803-816-1170. Hello, caller. Welcome into the Y'all Show. Well, good good morning there. Good day to uh, you, sir. I just wanted to let y'all know that the spring uh, festivals are starting back. Uh, the world's largest fish fry is uh, kicking off tomorrow. And I'll be in Paris, Tennessee, eating all the fish I can put down my throat. Did you say Paris or yeah. Paris, Tennessee? Paris. Paris, Tennessee. Oh, World's largest fish fry is this week. Uh, fish tent will be live and open for business Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. All this week in Paris, Tennessee. Of course, they've got the parade on Friday. And then... Of course, the Strawberry Festival follows that up over in Humboldt, Tennessee. Um, that's in the first uh, week of May. Uh, and, John Rawl, I, I got a request. I want you to research the Farmer's Almanac uh, for what we need to do every day that you show up on the radio. Is that possible? Farmer's Almanac every day. Oh, oh, you want me to just yeah, like best I, day? Okay, well, yeah, that's... it's like the best day. Yeah, what to do today or the bet? For instance, the Farmer's Almanac has has been going around long before we had weather people. You know, hmm. so um, now sometimes due to uh, current affairs, like us uh, going to the North Pole Wednesday and Thursday. Um, that was supposed to be the starting of planning, but, um, I've been around in West Tennessee long enough to know that, uh, you don't ever put anything in the ground until after, um, the first day of May, unless you want to go and cover it up and pray over it and all that. Cause normally we have a tough freeze come in at the last of April, uh, even though the official frost day uh, in Tennessee, supposed to be the fifteenth of April. That's never the case. Hmm. Uh, I've even seen killer frost come in on the first week of May. Um, and as far as tomato planting, for God's sakes, don't put a poor little tomato plant in the ground until the ground temperature is seventy degrees, because all it's going to do is stand there and shiver at you. Uh, it's not going to grow. All it's going to do is uh, get very weak and possibly diseased. So that's my uh, growing tip of the day today is do not plant your tomato plants in the ground until their the ground temp is at least 70 degrees. So if we wait till let's say, May 1st to plant our tomato plants, when are they going to be ready? When am I, when am I going to get that nice, juicy, vine-ripe tomato in my mouth? Well, that depends on the type of tomato, but typically it's 60 to 70 days from the day that you put the tomato in the ground is when you're going to start harvesting your first tomatoes. So around July 4th. That's right. Mm, man, I'm getting hungry already. But very good well, point. Well, like I say, I mean, you know, uh, it's going to warm up after this cold spell, for the next two days, I've got a whole house full of plants that need to go in the ground out there, but I, I'm, I know better than to go out there and put them in the ground and let them shiver 
you know, with the, because they're predicting these modern day weather people are predicting that we might get snow in Union City. Of course, yeah. that's Yankee country up there, but, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, now, the the plants you're talking about putting out in your yard, are they all legal plants, or would they be considered uh, illegal? Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I only grow legal plants. I'm not like them Californians over there in Milan, Tennessee, that uh, they claimed they were growing uh, legal hemp. Oh, okay. And uh, their UPS box arrived broken open, and the law – uh, found out they wasn't growing no legal hemp. They were growing high-bred uh, Humboldt County, California uh, hillbilly weed. You hear me? Ah, okay. Wasn't familiar with that variety. Well, thank you for the input. Again, I'm going to actually pick up with Art Cruz on the first point you brought to us, but we appreciate the call again. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us here on the Y'all Show. And he mentioned about Paris, Tennessee and catfish. Art, you, I think you know a little bit about that area. Well, I know enough about that area, John, to know that the caller committed heresy. Uh-oh. By calling it the world's largest fish fry. It's not the world's largest fish fry in Paris, Henry County, Tennessee. It's the world's biggest <laughs> fish fry. Uh, we don't follow the King's English in Henry County. And it's been called the world's biggest fish fry for years. I remember when the carnival aspect of the fish fry was in downtown Paris, Tennessee. It was then moved down Washington Street to the hitch lot, as it was called, behind the Slant and Slant building. Uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with the world's biggest fish fry and most familiar with the fish that are fried. And if you are a fan of fried catfish, go to Paris for the world's biggest fish fry and you will have your fill of corn on the cob, hush puppies, and fried catfish fillets. No better than in Paris, Tennessee during the world's biggest fish fry. And as he said, I think that thing gets going tomorrow is right. what I heard. Mm-hmm. So I and believe that's right. And uh, so, it, yeah, if you like catfish, that is the place to go. And, in fact, a, a fella told me long, not long ago about a place, if you don't make it into Paris for the catfish event, I don't want to butcher the name so you don't attack me here, but I was told that there is a place called, I think, West Side Market in Paris, Tennessee. This person, this very knowledgeable person, mm-hmm. told me that is where you need to go to have some delicious catfish there, too. So, Paris in West Tennessee, almost Middle Tennessee, is right on the uh, not far from the Tennessee River. Seems like a great place. And speaking of Paris, since you claim to know a lot about that area, have you ever heard of this song right here that I'm about to play? Because it's got a pretty good name. You want you want to know what the name of this song by Tracy Lawrence is called? Tell me. It's called Paris, Tennessee. Yeah. And that's going to wrap it up here on you all today. Did you know there's a song called Paris, Tennessee? I was not aware of that, John. Yeah. I lived uh, quite a few years in Paris, Tennessee. This is from Tracy Lawrence's debut album around 1991. Uh-huh. I want to show you the Riviera. She's got new tires and a good CV. Put on some lipstick and your mascara cause we're going all the way to Paris, Tennessee. Baby, I adore you. All right.
right, that'll wrap up the Y'all Show Art Cruise. Thank you, sir. We will see you tomorrow. We appreciate everybody tuning in. 803-816-1170 is how you can catch us 24-7. And, again, our website is y'all.com, the South homepage. Busy day tomorrow. You don't want to miss out on the fun on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. <laughs>